You've demanded him back. He's got hundreds of thousands of views on the channel. First podcast last year, UK prison guards, horror stories, something like that. And this is now part two. We did put a clip up, a few clips up actually from that podcast, like the, the fight story with Danny G. That got six figures. So if you're going on Amazon, the author name is Neil Samworth. We call him Sam. He's already explained why he's called Sam. And his book, I've been looking on the true crime, all the different categories. His book has been absolutely riding the number one spots on various true crime categories. So if you are interested in Sam's book, in the description box below this video are ways you can contact Sam on the social media platforms and also click over to his book on Amazon. So thank you very much for coming back on, Sam. Well, thank you for having me. How has it been reading all the responses and the comments? Um, negative ones aside, um, you know, some quite positive ones. We had, we had a good read through them. Um, it was nice to get some from... American cops, guards, you know, uh, the Danny G incident, how they deal with that, things that were available. Obviously, there's massive differences um, in how, in how uh, American prisoners are treated or how they can deal with them to um, people in English and Welsh prisons. A lot of that is obviously to do with human rights that we have over here. Um, so. so we had this Danny G fight story whereby 10 guards go in Tornado squad, riot trained, and he ends up just throwing them around like dolls. And at the end of it, he's like wearing some of their outfit, just laughing at them. So you're saying that these guards in America have contacted and said they would have handled it differently. How would they have handled it? Well, the things that are available in America that we don't have here anymore or have to be officiated by doctors, yeah, liquid kosh. Yeah. Right? You know, um, if you go back to the 60s and that, in this country, if you've got a troublesome young offender, prisoner, you people like Charles Bronson, um, they go in cell, flood it with officers, flatten them, give them a jab, they're out for two days. Obviously, they've still got that available in America. In this country, not so much. I saw it used about three times on healthcare, and it should have been used probably a dozen more for people who are mentally unwell and, you know, really arm themselves. Um, spit huds in America, you know, we get spitters and shit slingers. I love that word. <laughs> you know, they get spit huds. Uh, restraints, the restraints they use. When I was at Forest Bank private sector, we had um, a company come in. So just to briefly tell everyone again, prison officers in this country are trained in control and restraint. That's a, a week of training in private and public sector where you're taught various arm locks from various martial arts. And the majority of prisoners would be dealt with by three officers, male or female. Somebody would, would take the head, protect the head, one on each arm, take them to the floor, subdue them, cuff them, and away you go. Uh, Danny G, like Sean says, bit of a refresher. Big lad, very powerful. Um, three officers would have just got leathered. However, like I say, I was in the private sector, this company come in, and what they got were these... Uh, Velcro straps, really broad Velcro straps. So they got myself and another lad and said, right, um, we're going to come at you. You know, it was in a, a training training environment. We're going to come at you. 
want you to struggle, do your best. And what happened was, got me on the floor, somebody wraps around, around my arm, wraps it around my other arm, that's it, game over, I couldn't move. When they'd done, they brought four straps in, they put them around my legs, my body, with handles on, and then six guys come up and pick me up, and I'm all wrapped up like this, and away I go. Yeah, that was a demonstration, fantastic. Did it get approved? No, it didn't human rights it was against human rights so people like danny g that had been ideal you know 12 of us just about held him down um wrapped him up we'd have been off and also in america they'd have done that probably give him a jab dumped him in another cell game over but we didn't have that so danny g quite a lot of criticism at the officers involved um so i'm going to mention a couple uh, another couple of lads where, where it took even more stuff you know, if people don't believe 12 officers, like I said, going back to that incident, what you have to remember is all them 12 lads volunteered. If if I was picking 12 lads or 11 lads to go in with me, you know, and you had the choice, then it would have been a different a different game, but you don't have that choice. So um, we'll talk about Max first. Now, Max came to healthcare when I was on health. What are you laughing at, Sean? I love these stories, man. <laughs> Honestly, that Danny G stuff, I've watched it over and over. Is he a unit, him, like? Is he... Yeah, yeah. Well, one guy said, he said, who has watched this story, stopped it halfway through, Googled him and had a look, and he says, fucking hell, he looks like an animal. He was. And, and as, you, as you know yourself, wild man, right? Danny G, when he first started going to prison, would have been a young lad brutalised, kicked the fuck out of him, hammered him. And like um, your man, Alan Lord, said, who were on your podcast, who was involved in the riots, you know, he's in strange ways, young lad, Alan Lord, walks across the seg. What, what he was on about in the seg, I, I think it was green, it might be red. I don't know. I don't really care. But they had um, part of the flooring around the outside was like a green line. And that's where they're supposed to walk. And they all used to say to you, we had Charlie Bronson walking the big, you know, the green line. It's about control. But the fact that Alan Law got put in a cell, someone rabbit punched him, which I'm quite sure happened, and called him a black bastard or whatever, you know, some racist. Danny G w was created like Alan Lord kicking back. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah. If you're going to get beatings and hammerings, then you, you, you're going to kick back. Anyone would. You know? Hold on a second. If you're wondering who Alan Lord is, he was one of the leaders of the Strange Ways prison riot. He was on the roof, and we did interview him. He served 30-plus years. Amazing story. So in the description box below this video is a link to Alan Lord's podcast. If you want to get hip to what's happening in the Manchester prison scene, he's a huge name. Sam's a huge name. Go down there, click over into these podcasts. Sweet. So let's talk about Max. So he, he came to us um, by way of segregation. He'd been in segregation a couple of days um, and there was a suspicion he wasn't well, i.e. mentally. Bit strange, bit strange looking. They did a, a film, a prison documentary in 2011 in Strange Ways. Um, and I know Max was around because he was on the documentary and there was a lot of complaints because when he was actually shown in the healthcare, his face was really swollen and blisters. And that's from police. They gassed him. He was battered. Well, let me just go back a little bit, right? So he got him from the seg from the segregation unit. So when people used to come on healthcare, um, most of the time we only had two officers, and there was a lot of female staff, young female staff, nursing staff. So 
inadvertently go on the computer and you'd have a look what you were dealing with. You know, if you got some violent rapist or just someone who's generally violent, yeah. then it might well require you putting them on an unlock protocol, which means they'd come out on their own when you had enough staff. You know, you, you got to think of the staff all the time. So he arrived, so I had a look. So he was arrested, this lad, um, by the police, Manchester police. What he said was a dozen officers, um, gas, battened, and I, I believe they're not supposed to use tasers with gas. I don't know, wild man, you might know that. Well, yeah, apparently, allegedly, they're not supposed to because it counter-reacts. Right, so he was battered with battens, yeah, um, gassed and like his face was witness that. His face was swollen up, blistered, and that's what people... Comp I think people thought he'd been levered in healthcare at strange ways. And he was also tasered, so he was an handful. So he's he's about five foot ten, this lad. I think he was French-Dominican, sort of black geezer, skinny guy, but with really, really scary, shitty, stary eyes. So he's on healthcare. Because we didn't know him, he's on a three-officer unlock. Um, so we had a couple of days where he was blocking his hatch so he couldn't view him. And on the healthcare, he was on a cell. We had an exercise yard on the healthcare. So his cell window looked onto the exercise yard. So when he was blocking his door hatch, just go and exercise and have a look. Yo, how you doing, Max, sort of thing. Now, he was only going to be with us a week and he was getting out. So about two days before we get out, he'd been behaving bizarre this morning, um, blocked his hatch with shite. And he was trying to block his window. He got a newspaper and he was trying to block his window so he couldn't observe him. Two days till he gets out, this lad. He was in two weeks for a breach of the peace or something. Anyway, I goes off shift and um, some of my, uh, shall I say, colleagues decided that maybe they should go in because they, they couldn't observe him. So uh, one of my colleagues, um, he jumped up off the bed, this lad. There's three of them in the cell now. And he bit one of my colleagues uh, on his finger. So, obviously, getting bit is is quite dangerous in prison. You've got a lot of addicts, a lot of B, C, A, D, E, F, G, H, I, aren't you now? You've got everything, AIDS, things like this. It's the nastiest thing to do as well, isn't it? Correct. Uh, along with spitting. If you, if yeah. you ask about spitting prison officers, most prison officers would rather get punched in the face than spat. Yeah. Anyway, so he's kicked off. Alarm bell. Um, healthcare is... Away from the top jail, um, there's a, a couple of gates, one lot of stairs, as they come from sort of K-Wing, that's the nearest place. So it, it's actually on camera, this. It was on the on the documentary because the cameraman was actually on there, uh, more by chance than good luck. <laughs> so they go in the cell. Now, normally, like I've told you, somebody is size, three officers on the floor, in cuffs, walk them to the seg. Not happening. He's, he's fighting, and, and what I say by that, he's struggling. I don't mean he's trying to punch anyone. However, people are wary of him biting. You know, he's like some yeah. mad zombie thing trying to bite. So it, it shows you on documentary, the on, it was best-case scenario. They ended up ragging him out of a cell, like legging a wing. So two officers on each arm, boom, drag him out of the cell. There was somewhere between 25 and 30 staff involved in this, Right. This is a guy, he's been assessed by a psychiatrist, not mentally well, he's not on any medication, no mental health history. So from there, dragging him onto the landing, they couldn't get cuffs on him. People who were there, 
described his voice. He said it was something like exorcist coming out of his belly, you know, um, just some evil, deep, whatever. So the man handles him, or woman handles him nowadays. You know, we don't want to get in trouble with yeah. that bit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the man handled him. There's, there's a gate, a double gate, a set of steps and a double gate, and you're outside the healthcare. So about five minutes to get him that 25 metres, yeah. Struggling, kicking out. He gets him outside. Again, you know, people are aware that somebody's got his head by in some sort of headlock, which is not... You know, it's not home office approved. However, if someone's trying to bite people again, you know, and kicking off and you've got 25 staff trying to carry someone or 30 roundabout. A simple um, spit, spit, spit hold would sort that out. Well, of course it would. Of course it would. But, you know, like I say, human rights, it's against people's human rights. However, you know, the, the, the risk there, biters, you get a lot of um, sort of... Um, Africans, you know, that sort of ethnic background that try and bite people. Um, you know, which is which is a bit naughty, like I say. Anyway, so the segregation then is about 100 metres away, if that. There's a double gate, another double gate. So there's two double gates into the seg, and then they go to the special cell. The special cell we mentioned in the last podcast is basically a cell. There's no cell furniture, no toilet. Um, they put a bedpan in there. You know, if someone wants to go for number two and a bottle to pee in, and there might be some water in plastic cups. So if you're putting in somewhere, they've got the water, they've got the essentials. They manages to get him in special cell. Um, I don't know whether they, they, they will have strip searched him. However, nothing was by the book. It was just best guess. And he's in the special cell and he was in for two days and then he got out of prison. So on the second day, someone's at the door. So I guess so. You're right, Max. Yeah, you're gonna behave. Yeah. So he's walked down to reception and he was let out of reception. Yeah. One of the nurses saw him about a month later, um, quarter of a mile from the prisoners' casino, and he was working in there. So she saw him, knew who he was straight away. Very unassuming, but that's what you're dealing with, you know. And anyone, all right, wild man, somebody like that out of control what you're going to do. You're going to go and bang them out, aren't you? Yes. This, this is all camera up. This is modern times, violence. You can't do that. The injection had been good as well. Just pin him down, inject him. What's in the injection? It used to be, right, it's called Logactyl or something. It's like antipsychotics. Uh, it's, it's quite dangerous to give people um, because it has to be a measured dose for your size. You know, you'd be getting less than me and wild man. Um, so there is an unwillingness to use it. However, it used to be used frequently. And the other thing about this is the lad who got bit, you know, he, he got his hand straight under the tap, saw him on camera, trying to wash it. So they recommended he go to um, casualty for the anti-age drugs, whatever they are, um, which is like uh, one of the nurses actually got a needle stick injury once um, from someone who had hep B and took the three-week or four-week course of these medication. I believe, if there's any medical staff, don't quote me. These these drugs for a course of four weeks is 40 grand. You know, it, it's expensive, but the thing is as well, it makes you ill, violently ill. So this lad, um, he's gone to casualty with this by, worried. They won't give him the drugs. His local doctor won't give him the drugs. He actually 
contacted the prison and the prison doctor pointed him in the direction of a health clinic that then provided him with these drugs. He was then off for a month, obviously taking these tablets. It made him really ill. And was he tested and he was okay in the end? He was okay in the end. Yeah. That's good. So that's Max uh, with no mental health history working in a casino quarter mile from the... So you never know. And if you'd have seen him, I'll tell you now why, man. If you've seen him, it was nothing. Was you he know? on a lot of drugs when he came in? No, he was on no drugs. He come in quite lucid. However, he was fine. I don't know what he was doing um, for police to arrest him. He was doing something or he was asked to move on or something. And obviously when a copper tried to get hold of him, you know, he he just went wild and they ended up like, you know, calling for more troops, battering him, gassing him, tasering him and that. He found some of the quiet ones of the worst as well, though, really. Well, well this this is it. If, if you saw him, you wouldn't think twice, you know, yeah. about there was nothing about him and no drugs involved. Were there any other quiet ones like that that you didn't anticipate? Well, the other one I'm going to tell you about is um, I'm not, I'm not going to use this lad's name and it'll become apparent why I'm not using it. So, um, I don't know, let's, let's just call him Jack. Yeah, so, a bit bit history about Jack, because when we worked on healthcare, we had um, orderlies, we used to have three orderlies. They were um, prisoners, like yourself, wild man, mm-hmm. <laughs> who were cleaners. However, um, they were more, more sort of, they, they needed to be more than cleaners on there. We called them orderlies. So there was a lot of female staff. They did a lot of work unsupervised. So you needed lads, you know, who, who you could be really trusted and stuff like that. Um, while we're on the subject of wild man being a cleaner, it's a well-known fact that every gangster in Manchester, every old bastard, <laughs> at, at some point <clears throat> has wore greens, blue T-shirt and work boots. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you get some odd bastard who can fight 10 men and use weapons and drugs and he's feared on a landing on K-Wing. Uh, Mr. Samworth, what do you want? Just mop at stairs, kid, and away they go. So, there you go. You got it, and it gets you out of the cell. <clears throat> exactly, it gets you out of the cell, you know, and like your man, uh, ex-con Cody, who was on another podcast, who was in the private sector, when he got a cleaning job, he did say he saw the screws in a different light after doing that job because, you, you know, most of the hard lads, well, you, you, you tell me, wild man, I think had some respect for some of the staff. They'd know who were the bad ones, yeah. but, you know, they'd see the staff in a different light because you'd, you'd be working, you know, in a small group quite close, you know. It weren't like being on a wing or whatever like that. They, they do respect them, and they are like, the ones that treat you like with humanity. They deserve it right back, you know what I mean? I mean, on the wing, it's hard to sort of like talk to a staff member because you got other prisoners saying, oh, he's that, he's that, he's that. But if you fight and you don't give a fuck, you don't give a fuck what other people are saying anyway. No, you know and I mean? if you're a cleaner, obviously you need to talk to staff, don't yeah, you? Because exactly. you're interacting with them. So... So we had we had orderlies on there. So one of the orderlies, um, he knew this lad, Jack, on the out. So when he first came to us, he came on nights. I went on nights. He landed on the healthcare. Um, somebody had gone to him. He was on K-Wing, pressed the emergency cell bell, um, which is a, it's a bell. It's not waitress service or anything like that. In a cell, if you've got an emergency or whatever, that bell's there to alert staff that, 
you need someone to come to that cell. Inevitably on night, someone will press one because they want a toilet roll or something like that. However... It's not for that, though, is it? No, it's not for that, obviously. No. And, you know, in the good old days, if you press the bell, we are a good reason, you'd probably get a good kick in. You would get a good kick in. There you go. Suction around the fucking head for that one. There you go. So, his cellmate has been concerned about him and he's pressed the cell bell. So when staff have gone, um, it's quite obvious he's taken summer. It was Spice at that time. We'll talk about Spice as well. Um, quite violent. There's not a lot of staff on nights. Um, I'm, 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 what would you think? How many staff, Sean, would you think was in strange ways tell 100 prisoners on nights? How many staff would you think would be on duty? Per, 100, per 100 prisoners? Yeah. I think that to keep it secure, you probably need about at least four. I'd say per 100? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say about 10. Yeah. You, your man, wild man's about right. You had four in top jail, four in bottom jail. One on SEG, one on VPs, and one on CAT A unit. So you'd have about eight, 11 staff, plus some OSGs, their operational support grades. They'd be in the ECR control room. Yeah. And, and you'd have two Oscars, their uh, duty managers. Well, I'm just thinking of the guards in the fishbowl. That's why I said yeah, four. Yeah. They're, they're all tooled up with guns, aren't they? In America, yeah. Yeah, there you go. You need one of them, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, they didn't have a lot of staff available anyway. It took what staff they got to get him over to healthcare. Uh, quite a violent restraint. Um, obviously, he was off his head. Spice in prison, it, it's changed now. Um, we'll talk about that in a bit. But then, it, it was, you saw the same thing happen. People who'd smoke it, inevitably would pass out, usually. They'd come round, disorientated, uh, could be sick, and then they'd become quite violent. That rolled the space of anything from five minutes to half an hour. Hell, I've never had that stuff. Well, listen, that, hopefully after today, you'll never want to take that. And, yeah. no, and nobody else would either. Anyway, so he's passed out. That's that's the point his cellmates pressed the cell bell. Violent restraint on healthcare. So I've come on in the morning, in the morning on healthcare, Really important to have a handover. The night staff would give a bit of a handover and then we'd sit down and have a briefing and you go cell by cell. There's a lot of people on there, incredibly unwell, mentally unwell, yeah, violent. You know, you've got people on unlock. So you just go by cell, say what he was like yesterday, say what that. So this lad's there, Jack. He's on a free officer unlock. So I went to have a chat with him when we come out. We couldn't get him out straight away. Usually the three officer unlocks will do them separate, maybe after we've done the rest of the prisoners, patients, had them out. So he is quite lucid. Having a chat to him, uh, I want to go back to K-Wing. He, he looked quite poorly, as in, you know, pale or whatever, but, but seemed all right. Anyway, he saw the psychiatrist. I'm not sure if it was that day or the day after, went back to K-Wing. So fast forward a week, um, he ends up back on healthcare, similar, similar scenario. This time he's clearly not well. Over the space of a couple of days, he got incredibly paranoid. We didn't have him out. We were passing his meals through the door. They were pretty much coming straight back out at you. And he was just talking about devil being behind his eyes. He took nothing on healthcare, right? He definitely didn't take anything. He was strip searched when he come on. He got nothing in his cell. Um, so he was taking nothing else. But he'd had another episode with Spice on K-Wing and come to us. Third day, 
he's uh, bouncing this lad. He's just going on about devil. Devil behind his eyes. He's fiddling with his eyes. Um, and this, this particular day, I was only on an early shift. My mate was on all day. I'll, I'm saying my mate because I'll tell you why. In the morning, he's become incredibly agitated and he started banging his head. Not gentle. You know, you're talking to him, you know, come on, Jack, what's up with you? Can I get you a brew some like that? Nothing. Going on about devil, get me out of this fucking cell, devil behind my eyes. And he's smashing his head. You know, quite quite controlled, but, you know, he's got his head on the door talking to you and then he go, bam. And a little lump had come up. And he gradually got worse over a couple of hours. So at this point, they've got the duty governor up and he's talking with the healthcare manager about what they're going to do about this lad. They've got some CNR teams assembling in the association room, full riot gear, helmets gear, whatever. So me and my mate are watching this lad and he started throwing himself off the bed. And in in these cells, say for custody cell, you've got a bed, um, the wall's about a metre and a half away. He weren't using his hands, you know, you try and fall forward. Now, stand there, fall forward, your hands are going to come up. You're not supposed to react, you Of course you it? do. You can't yeah. help it. He's coming off the bed, falling towards the wall, no hands, crack. Yeah? You can hear it, sickening, on the floor, and he's up, trying to talk to him, getting more and more agitated. He's playing about with his eyes more and more. He's got his fucking fingers in his eyes. <sighs> <sighs> So it gets to dinner time. He's got worse. Uh, the manager's governor's trying to decide what to do. It's very easy to be critical in these situations. However, as a prison officer, somewhere in training, you are taught preserve life. Yeah. So me and my mate who are watching him, you know, you've got your CNR teams, feeding back to our manager, going to kill himself, this lad. He was smashing his, he's, he's going to fracture his skull and he's going to die. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's continued with this. Smashing his head, no thought, you know, no nothing. Okay, he's giving a huge jab of thought, is he? This is what it sleep. wants. This is what I'm saying, wild man. At that point, somebody, you, you need a doctor. The doctors are unwilling to make that decision. Yeah. They don't have to, so they won't. Because of liability. Yeah. So if you go back to the good well, old days. Well, he's can't be doing that, can he? No. The thing is, if you go back to the good old days... They would have done that. Get in, flatten him, bam. You know, two days later, yeah. his rate has rain. Um, so he said, you're going to kill yourself. Just just get in there. Yeah. So the governor looked at me and said, uh, what shift are you on? I said, I'm on an early shift. So he looked at clock. He says, it's half an hour past your time. Go home, fuck off home. Like, you know, in not and he didn't like what we were saying to him. So... Like I'm told, I goes off home. My mate stays there watching this. So he's watching this lad destroy himself. He's just throwing himself off bed. He's a fucking mess. And he's playing about with his eyes. At some point in the afternoon, they went in the cell. They couldn't restrain him. They couldn't move him. He was like steel. Trying to be and he's had he's had no drugs since his episode on K-Wing. So this is three days later. Yeah. They went in. Um fighting with him, trying to restrain him. It weren't happening. Eventually, they got him to hospital and he lost his sight. His his eyes were damaged that bad, the muscles at the side, that that lad, you know, lost his sight. Healthcare orderly, bit of a background of this lad. He was in prison. He was on his second sentence. 
It was a Mickey Mouse sentence. Something stupid. Months. You know, so somebody's lad has gone in prison, didn't take drugs on the out, gone in prison, taken spice. <sighs> he's had an episode and he's lost his eyesight. You Jesus know. Jesus Christ. So young people out there thinking spice is cool. Listen, Sean, you know, spice. There's all the snide shops where Strangeways is. Have you ever been past? On the front where Strangeways is, you've got all your snide shops, yeah? Yeah. Selling Nike and everything else. And there, they were selling spice. It was a fiver a bag. And it was legal, weren't it? So the government made it illegal. And as usual, instead of legislating that drug so people knew what was in it and put in the warnings, they made it illegal. So what happened? Gangsters took over and made it really yeah. strong. Yeah, the shit they've got now is probably 40, you know, it's worse than heroin or anything. It's interesting to hear that from the side of a guard that making it illegal made the situation worse. And we've had Neil Woods on Good Cop, Bad War. He says the drug laws have created the drug problem. And that's exactly and the violence. what... Yeah, and the violence as well, yeah. Well well, well put, yeah. But, you know, to restrain that lad, I don't know how many staff there were. There were some big lads. One of my mates on it got a, a letter after thanking him for... My mate stood and watched that. He might have put that in a little box in his head. He was a lot younger than me. At some point, that lad will be fucked in head. Yeah, because... Oh, yeah, he's bouncing. You know, he, watching someone destroy herself, plus it affected you know, the lads that went in and tried to restrain him. Yeah. But here's the thing. I'm on the sick, uh, 2016. I get a phone call from prison. The prison procedurally trapped me like shit. Um, first real contact with the governor. This is seven months into my sickness. So this governor phones me up. How you doing, Sam? Not good. When are you coming back? Who says I'm coming back? That sort of conversation. And then he asked... Asked me whether I, you know, I was helping myself. I said I put myself through, got a psychologist, done a three-month course. So this governor then says to me, funnily enough, I'm I'm having some psychology now. I've got a problem. Um, there was a, led, a lad on healthcare, and this is the governor who told me to fuck off home now. He's forgot that he's told me to fuck off home. He's telling me, you know, there was this lad called Jack and... You know, it was a troublesome time and he lost his eyesight and it's affected me. He's just jumped on the fucking bandwagon, Annie. <laughs> well, is that compensation claim? The, the thing is with these, with these events, they can affect people. You know, one event like that, yeah. the, the, the thing was, he was telling me and I'm thinking... Hang yeah, on, I was telling I, you and you I, told me I, to I, fuck I were off there, home. you told me to fuck off home, <laughs> Yeah, you know. There's no right or wrong, but preserve life. That lad could have easily died and, you know, so there you go. But that that's the sort of thing you're dealing with. That is a totally different animal to your Danny G. I know Wildman loves all the graphic content, but can we talk about something nice for a few minutes? Yeah, what would you like to talk about? <laughs> Fuck off, mate. <laughs> what would you like to talk about? That's what he said. Let's... To Daryl, he said, "I like all the, all the hard. Let me tell all you, the hardcore while, content." While we're, about, while we're on about, he's like, "Give him a little peaceful few minutes, Sean. He's talking about something nice." We will talk about something nice before the end. While we're on the, <laughs> while we're on the subject of liquid kosh largactil, we had a lad called Jacob coming. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, but this, this 
I need to tell you this because it, Please it, do. it is a good I ending. love so, it. So I'm being J- sarcastic. So, <laughs> so Jacob. No, not you, Sean. Lucky that. I'll tell you what, you two carry on. I'm <laughs> sorry, bro. I'm sorry. So Jacob, Jacob come to us straight off the street. Police arrested him. Very short time. They, they couldn't get him. He actually come in a, a police van into prison. Normally, you know, police station, court come to us. Yeah. So they brought him. Um, they couldn't manage him. It was quite an handful. So we got him straight to healthcare. He bypassed the reception process pretty much. They brought him in, violent prisoner, straight on healthcare, unwell. He was, I, I don't know whether he was having a psychotic episode, whether he was on drugs or whatever. He was fucking fucked up. Mm. So he comes on. We put him in a cell, usual, tried to strip search him. He's having none of it anyway. We ended up fighting with him. On the floor, uh, more staff, clothes off him, strip searched him. We come out of the cell. So he's he's bollock naked straight away, this lad. If I explain this, the cell's a little bit, prison cell on healthcare, a little bit bigger than a family bathroom. So imagine you've got a, a fixed bed, yeah, opposite the bed, down alongside the cell, you've got a side where they normally have a TV. Um, at the bottom of the bed, you've got a toilet and a sink. Yeah. So this lad, he's only been with us half an hour. He's got all his kit off. He's running from the bed, jumping onto the sink, jumping onto the side, and he's like that. Spider-Man. Fast. Fast. I'm watching him, me. I'm thinking he's, he's going to lose his nuts or something because he's going to slip. Yeah. Yeah. He's at this for two days, yeah? And we decided we need to go in and try and get some diazepam down him. So we, we made a decision on the healthcare, spontaneous this, that we were going to go in, not get kitted up, yeah? So we ended up trying to restrain him, and we also need to move him cell. I remembered now why we went in. The cell stunk horrendous. Uh, you imagine someone who's super dehydrated, and mentally unwell have their own smell anyway. It was stinking the landing out. Yeah, yeah. Urine, whatever, it was awful. You know, it was making your eyes water. So as least trauma to him as we could, restrained him and put in another cell so we could clean that out. That's why we went in, I remember now. It continued this. Now, you can go without food for weeks, days. We had a lad go 84 days without food, taking liquid. When they're really mentally unwell and they're not taking, and as active as he was, and not taking liquid, they become dehydrated, you know, his mouth's white, his lips are white, and they can have an heart attack. You know, it's stress on the body. And he's running around non-stop. So over a couple of days... How many days was that say to get like that? He, he was like that coming in. I'll tell you about another lad in a bit who went from... Is he getting the energy if he's, if he's not eating and drinking? I'd, people who are mentally unwell, they have, they'd say mong strength. I yeah, mean, I that's, that's not, that's strength, not yeah. politically correct. But again, it's not, you know, it's not slighting people or anything like that. It's some, I don't know where they find it. You know, Max, not mentally unwell. You, your lad, Jack, who took Spice, he's, my mate said, you know, there's three of them trying to put one of his arms in an arm lock and he was like steel. So you, you don't know where they get it. So this lad Jacob is going round now. He's restrained twice more over the next two days. The same thing. The stink, stinking the landing out, moved him out. Um, but the fight's going out of him. 
you know, the third time he was restrained, my manager, Brad, has said, to, look, he's incredibly unwell, this lad. If you don't handle him right, he's going to have a fucking heart attack or something. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it was done as gentle as possible. Anyway, we had a, an outside doctor in. Our doctor had been seeing him and would not uh, authorise the injection. I think we had an outside doctor come in and look at him for the emergency section. This doctor, who, again, I won't embarrass him, but he, he was one of the better psychiatrists to come, you know, that, that, that we work with. Come in, took one look, and it's like, why are we waiting? So within, got kitted up, within 15 minutes we're in, bam, he gets a jab. Two days later, he's going to hospital. Two days later, because he's he pretty much out cold for two days, two days later, he's had a shower, he's got dressed. Comes out of the cell, you're right, boss. Yeah, you're right, lad. Yeah, where am I going? You're going to hospital. Is that all right? Yeah, fine. You know, thank the staff for looking after him, and away he goes. But he he, he could have died. Um, And it took five days like that. My manager, who's, you know, one of my best mates now, and was then, in fact, all the healthcare staff, the nurse and that were traumatised because they could see what was happening and they were powerless to do anything. Do you know what I mean? Being somebody who works with mental health, I mean, brothers worked 40 years with mental health, watching a lad like that, knowing what he needed. Because if it had been in a secure unit, it had been flattened, coshed, and put in seclusion, which is like a special cell, you know, somewhere where they can't arm themselves. But the prison doctor could have given that and he didn't. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. They won't make a decision. They don't have to make a decision, so they won't make a decision. That, from our point of view, is very frustrating. Yeah. Um. You know, and it's not pleasant to see either. So, so doctors are just reluctant because if he dies, they're going to get a lawsuit then on their, their ass. Possibly, you know, somebody needs to look at that, and it, it should be, it it should be a provision that's there more readily. Normally, it was given when an outside doctor come in, who was doing an assessment. This guy obviously looked at him and said, "Fucking hell!" Well, obviously, he didn't swear because he was a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's not like common like myself. But um, oh, blimey, you know. <laughs> Fucking hell! Get in, flatten him. Let let's get him. Let's knock him out. It's the antipsychotic shot. Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah, it was out cold. They used yeah. to get that normal people, normal prisoners, troublesome prisoners like Wildman and that. Bron- you know what I mean? Bronson. Yeah, Bronson. <laughs> he'll, he'll have had it loads of times. That lad. And I saw another podcast. Uh, London's most prolific bank robber, as a youngster, where they were injecting, you know, young offenders full of testosterone. That bam. Was that? Ne- uh, Neil Razor Smith. Yep. Noel, Re- Noel Razor Smith. Yep. Yeah, that's the James one. English podcast. Yeah, that's Shout the out one. to James English podcast. Yep. That podcast. James brother. English. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Recommend people watch that one. V- very yeah. good. But he, as he said, you know, they, they were doing that then. They were giving it young persons, teenagers. So it, it was more readily available. I'm not saying. Uh, In America, been doing that. they didn't have to come into your cell either. They had, a, they had like a trunk gun, like a dart. Well, like for the animals, in a way, you know what I mean? Danny G. What would they have done with Danny G? If if they really wanted to go in, they'd have probably chucked some gas in, gassed him or whatever, and then gone in and dealt with it. Yeah. You know, they have they have more things available. They don't have human rights. You know, as as a we have procedures which sometimes working with the mentally health uh hindered the job. You know, Jack, what he wanted seriously was just flatten him, you know, sit on him, do whatever, put forty staff on him so you can't 
take his eyes out and smash yourself to bits and then work from there, preserve life. Stunt so, grenades are the best in America. That would put them. The whole dorm would just stop. Pyrotechnics, you know, they are available, but the nationals, you know, it's all hush-hush stuff. They're like the sass of the, of the prison service. <coughs> they, they live and die and train to deal with, you know, mm. hostage situations and things like that. They're the only people in the prison service who have pyrotechnics available to them. So on the list of things to talk about then, we've got prison officer culture, what happens in prison stays in prison, and we've got K-Wing and the healthcare K-Wing body. and healthcare, okay. Here we go, K-Wing. Have you ever been on K-Wing? Have you ever been at Strange Ways? I've never been to Strange Ways, mate, no. Oh, you missed, missed out then on your I CV with K-Wing, didn't you? <laughs> Prisoners and officers talk about um, K-Wing lovingly. Uh, it's the biggest wing in... Um, strange ways, three landings, approximately 70. Wait, it holds about 200, 210 over three landings. Uh, like I said, Beirut, whatever you want, you know, all singing, dancing. It's a big place. So when I was on <laughs> K-Wing, um, and also everyone likes to think when they talk about K-Wing, you know, all glossy-eyed and that, that when they were on there, it was the worst. You know, the roughest, the most violent or whatever. Which is bollocks, unless you're on when I was on. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why, Sean. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Let me tell you why. So I landed on K-Wing uh, about May 2005. We had a PO, um, PO Pennington. Uh, funny guy. I liked him a lot. He was a old type screw, really nice man. Looked like your Sergeant Major, nice tash. As a PO, he was everything you wanted. Just to, just to recap, so people in America that know where we are, we've got prison officer, we've got senior officer, who's wing base manager, and then your PO um, is a manager. They might have a wing like K-Wing and do the Oscars job, which is a shift manager's job as well. So PO Pennington is on K-Wing. He's re retired now, bless him. Lovely man. He was there on K-Wing when you needed him. He didn't stick his oar in. He let his SOs run the wing. And when you needed him, he was there. So we go to our SOs. So we had Bertie Bassett in the book. Um, he did contact me, actually. after. Well, he didn't. After reading the book, Bertie Bassett got in touch. Bertie with... Bassett. He <laughs> <laughs> was a nice fella. Um, <laughs> bit like a bulldog, you know, big in stature and all that. Um, but he actually got in touch with me, missus, said he read the book. Um, he, he thanked me for mentioning him in a good light, even though my description of him was less than, you know, a bit colourful. Anyway, so you got this guy, so he's a fantastic manager. Big in presence, big bellowing voice. The cons fucking loved him, right? Because he was straight as a die. Yeah. So if you had a problem with you, wild man, that problem would get dealt with. If five minutes later you wanted some off him, you know, come and talk to me. That's how we were. Didn't take things personal with staff or prisoners. And I love that. So you were too faced? No, absolutely not. He was fair. Then we had SpongeBob. Um, he was a smaller version. Um, shall we say. Well, he was about five foot five with a flat top, and people used to take piss out of his flat top, which he didn't like. However, did he have little man disease in by any chance? A little bit. <laughs> However, I quite liked him, and he he was a mini Bertie Bassett, right? So he did the job exactly the same. So you got 
big lad and mini me, and then we had Wainers. Now, Wainers uh, was the third SO, did work on shifts. He was a lover, not a fighter, but on a wing as big as K-Wing, logistically, paperwork, things like that, there's a... It, the prison service produces far too much paperwork. He was amazing. So he dealt with the clerical shit. Kept every, you know, yeah. dotting I's, crossing T's, all that bollocks. And the other two dealt with the discipline and it worked brilliant. P.O. Pennington in support when we needed him. So we had cracking managers. So on that wing at that time, um, we took anybody. What I mean by that is on the wing, we had a lot of basic prisoners. So they're prisoners who are on punishment. They've had things taken off on light TVs. We'd have them down one side of the landing. We had some lads who had later meet on healthcare, you know, in years' time, who were mentally unwell. We'd manage them on the same landing as the basics. And we had most of the cleaners on that landing as well. So the cleaners made it a bit easier because you got basics and mentally unwell people, so it was a difficult population. Well, you need the cleaners with the mentally healthy, don't you, really? Of course you do. Of course you do. And And like I say... That left probably 40, 45 prisoners on that landing to manage, which was enough because they're quite difficult. Yeah. They weren't going to work then. Other prisoners weren't going to work anyway, were they? No, no. So um, you've got lifers on there. Uh, you've got people from dispersals. Uh, we used to get a lot of prisoners from the SEG. How it was supposed to work, if a prisoner went from any wing in strange ways to the SEG, once they were fitted to come out of the SEG, they should go back to their wing. So if D-Wing took one to the SEG, it should go back there. What inevitably happened is D-Wing had refused to have them because uh, they threatened one of their staff, so they'd come to K-Wing from the SEG. However, we got threatened every day. Um, when I was on there at that time, it was managed robustly. There was a lot of CNR incidents. I remember one day when we had four, which was a lot, but there was pretty much one a day, an alarm bell, and they got to the SEG, and maybe two hours later, they'd be back on the wing. So it was a, a difficult population, really good staff, maybe 20, 25 good staff, five or six middle of the road, and then some crap staff. However, they were managed by the others. You know, I've talked about this before, chameleon officers. If they work with someone who's shite, they'll be shite. If they work with a good team, they'll be good. You know, that sort of thing. So... um it was fantastic for about 18 months. I loved it. Uh, the staff were all good. You had a laugh, really dark humour, taking piss out of each other every day. In fact, it, it, wasn't like it used to rip the shit out of each other. You know, it was constant. <laughs> if you fucked up or whatever, away you go. Um, some some cracking people on there. My mate who I worked with, Nobby Nobbler in the book. Um Incredibly private man. I would never mention his name, but I worked with him a lot, and he was one of the favourite people to work with. We got each other's back. Similar sense of humour. Um, it was great. 18 months' time, so things are changing. We, we're getting a new PO. I don't know whether PO Pennington retired then, so we get a new PO. This PO had been a reception senior officer. So... Reception, again, in prison, logistically, has got to be bob on. You've got people coming in, people going out, paperwork's got to be right, you know, your role starts from there. So you, you can understand that. You know, American prisons are the same, aren't they? You know, it all happens there, and away you go. So you come in and where you go out, isn't it? Yeah, so he come onto the wing, and with him, um, maybe not immediately, but quite a few new staff come. He actually alienated some staff. 
And I would say maybe half a dozen really good staff left because they didn't get on with him. And what he did, like every good manager do, he came onto the wing, you know, watched it for a month, see how it was running before he made any changes. Bollocks. He come on day one and changed it all. Completely changed it all. Didn't listen to staff and it went to rat shit. Um, after eight months, and this, this, is, this was my downfall with him. After eight months, he said to me, what do you think then? the new regime how it's running I say it's shite my days probably seems five hours longer you know I'm not enjoying it anyway he brought with him a new SO and an officer Bonnie and Clyde in the book and that's when it started going tits up these two Bonnie and Clyde were a couple they denied they were a couple everyone knew they were a couple not a good idea, as you can see, having a couple working together on a wing. Because especially if one's a manager, they might show favouritism or whatever. Quite often what happened at Strange Ways, if an officer, you know, hooked up with an SO the other way, you might I saw people get split up because people knew they were an item. So, you know, you're going to work over there like and split them up. So these two were an item. They denied it vehemently. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite a big word for me, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, th they denied it. Um, the the first time, what the female half of the two was doing was one of these officers um, and wild men have come across who would, at that time we had wing files, so every prisoner had a wing file. So if you did something wrong, if you call me a soft-ass Yorkshire twat and threaten to bang me out, <laughs> I might give you a warning, yeah? And, and I would say, right, Mr. Atwood, bam, bam, bam. I won't call you Mr. Atwood, sorry. Write something in your file. So she's putting things in people's files but not telling them. So when they're then taking in the office and giving a warning, they're like, I ain't had no warnings, that sort of thing. Stitching people up, really. So two of my mates um, are on the freeze landing that day. We've got a lad who is an enhanced prisoner. An enhanced prisoner, he's got his PlayStation. He's been a model prisoner. He's getting extra visits because he's enhanced and he can spend more money as a sentenced prisoner. So two of my mates go up to his cell. Um, you're going on basic. So this lad's like, what, what the fuck are you on about? So how it should work, the IEP system, from, from being an enhanced prisoner, if he misbehaved, he should get taken down a level to standard. Yeah. So he'd still have his TV, but he'd lose his PlayStation and visits. This guy, without any knowledge, is going straight to basic. So he said, fuck off, I'm not moving. Yep. I've had no warning. So they're looking at him thinking, well, he, you know, he's a model prisoner. So they go down to the SO. This is Bonnie and Clyde, the uh, Clyde author of it. The SO steams upstairs, straight in the cell, followed by my two mates. And we had this on the last podcast. How do you say it? Hoiked up. Hawking Flem. Hawking Flem. This is the SO, the wing manager. Hawking Flem spits in the prisoner's face. Fucking oh. okay, hell. Right? That is the fucking wing manager. Yeah? The prisoner then spits in his face. Yeah? He then drops the prisoner, both hands on the bunk bed, jumping up and down on his legs. So my two mates rag him off him, drag him out of the cell. They've dragged the wing manager out of the cell. 
Other staff have gone in. The prisoner's down now. He's obviously kicking off. He's got restrained and taken to the seg. I know afterwards, they both had him in the office on, ever do that again in front of us. You know, it's disgusting. A lot of young staff about as well. Some who will have seen that incident. So that's not good. So I know about that. I'm not involved. That's not my story. But both guys recounted it separately. And that's what happened. Week later, two young staff. Now, one of them is not so young. I'm not giving him that credit. However, they approached me. They'd been asked to take a prisoner in the office. Now, when we had Bertie Bassett, if Wildman got a warning, yeah, he wouldn't let it stand Bertie, call him in every day. So Wildman, there'd be a queue of lads, take him in, sit down, not having your fucking taking piss out of my staff. You've had one warning, one more, you're on basic. He'd let him know. Give him Scarborough warning. You yeah. know, smarten your act up or you're on basic. So these two young lads, sorry, one of them's young, one's not so young but they're new in service. They haven't been prison officers long. They take a guy in the office with an ex another experienced female officer. The SO jumps up and twats him, right? Now, they didn't know what to do. This kid's on the floor. They didn't know what to do. The other officer left. They're both like, fucking hell. Anyway, no alarm bell. This guy picks himself up. SO's getting that, you fucking prick. Get out of my fucking office. Now, one of them lads come to me, upset, didn't know what to do. Another few days, me and my mate, we're working together on Two's Landing. Another lad who is a cracking officer, um, proper hard bastard. Not a lot of them about, but a real hard bastard, but a gent. So he's not a bully boy or anything like yeah. that. The SO asked us to take this lad in office. He was a French lad, very polite. He was on the Two's. Um, I got him down, put him down for a cleaner's job when one come. So polite, it was unbelievable. We take him in office. Um, SO jumps up, grabs hold of him, tries to twat him. Me and my mate ends up pulling him off. This French lad's going bananas. Yeah, The SO's saying, uh, you've called this officer, his partner, a slag. I'm not having this anyway. My mate got him up against wall, fucking out of order, you know. Don't be doing this shit. We don't need it. He's trying to cause trouble, isn't he? He was off his head. In his past life, he'd been a football hooligan. Ah, right. Yeah. Um, which obviously doesn't bode well, does it? No. However, it was out of order. Me, I'm fucked off now because the wing's going to rat shit. There's 40 staff on that wing and a couple of staff are basically fucking it up for everyone else. Plus, the prisoners get to know about this. You know, they're talking, they'll they'll know what's going on, so it's not a good atmosphere. Um, the PO, incidentally, he definitely knew what was going on and he's not managing it. So my friend said, me, you're going to get yourself in bother. You're firing bullets now. You know, there's all of us on the wing. Why are you firing bullets? I said, because I'm not, I'm not prepared to run with this. So I goes to SpongeBob, who's still working on the wing, and I says to him, have a word with the PO, he needs to sort this lad out and pack it in. Yeah. The PO didn't do that. He took it above to a wing governor. So now it's going to be an investigation because now he's told the governor he has to get investigated. Took a few months, this. His other half is now going around the jail telling everyone I'm a grass. Yeah. yeah. 
No, seriously, this is the culture I'm on about, right? What I've done, in effect, is not being prepared to put up with this idiot, twatting people for no good reason. Yeah? She's telling me on my grass. It became really apparent because I was going on, on units and people were turning their back on me. I had some friends, not everybody, but I remember one day I went on A-Wing, so two of my mates on there, had a bit chat, walked down. Cockney SO comes out, can I have a word yet? If there's any incidents on this wing, don't get involved. So I said, why is that? He says, because my staff won't back you up. You know, we don't work with grasses. Told him to go fuck himself. Went back to K-Wing. So let's go to the investigation now. At some point, Nobby Nobbler and another mate, yeah, pulled some members of staff who were calling, who's this Samworth de Grass? Cate unit they were on. A manager on there said, who's this fucking grass Samworth? So my mate, Nobby Nobbler, what do you mean grass? Let me explain what's happening. So he explained, yeah. Over a period of a month or so, people start talking. Anyway, we have the investigation. So there's a governor... There's a union man who's going in with me and there's a, a governor who was all right and a PO who was a fucking sack of shit doing the investigation. So this governor says to me just before I went in, everyone else has been interviewed, prisoners have been interviewed, but that don't count for anything. Yeah. My mate, youngsters, lots of people being interviewed, so I'm pretty much the last person in. The union man and the governor, the governor first says to me, uh, we've never had this at Manchester. So I said, never had what? He went, you know. I says, I don't. Do you mean someone who's like spoke out against someone who's throwing fists about and knocking shit out of people for no good reason? So the governor started walking off. He's on hiding to nil in him. So I said, governor, where are you going? Answer me question. He's having nothing to do with that. He's gone. The union man says, this guy's going to get sacked because of you. This is the guy who's going in representing me. So I says to him, if he gets fucking sacked, it's his own fault and nothing due to me. So I told him I didn't want him in. So I goes in investigation, he come in anyway. So he gets in there, Sean, sits down. Everyone else has been, sits there. What's your name, Samworth? Uh, what's your favourite chocolate bar, Mars bar? What's your favourite alcoholic drink, bitter? Okay, thank you. That's how it went. He never asked me a fucking question. Never asked me what he was doing, what he was going on about. Uh, what he'd done that day, nothing. That was the investigation over. I believe he got a slap on wrist and they moved him off K-Wing. By this time, I'd had enough like, so I ended up on my way. Let's go to healthcare. A bit more of the culture on a smaller scale. I remember you mentioning, I believe, a prisoner leaving somewhere. I don't know if it was in the desert, Arizona. He got hammered. You didn't know whether he was dead. He got carried out. Clear fluid coming out of his ears. Is that right? Yes. And did that traumatise you? Well, I was having nightmares and flashbacks for quite a while when I got released. Right. And and that particular thing was one that... Various. Yet. There was numerous things. Every day. I saw yeah, people's, yeah, they will. saw people's teeth flying out in front of me. Yeah. People's leg... Like, guy with his leg pointing in the wrong direction. Was, people was, uh, blood squirting out <laughs> their heads. I was going to say, was wild man responsible? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, okay, Sean, so. There's an incident on A-Wing. I saw this on camera. One of the security guys um, showed me this on camera. There's a lad, uh, not a fighter. He's on A-Wing. And this, this is the other thing you have to remember. Some prisoners are brutal. 
So uh, apparently something like his girlfriend on the out has taken a mobile phone of somebody else's girlfriend who is on A-wing with him. So retribution, five lads are basically on his cell and levered this kid. They're then seen on camera um, taking him down a couple of landings and putting him in his cell. When staff have found him, clear fluid, unconscious, thought he was fucking dead. I don't know whether they actually brought him back. He went to hospital. They def- he shouldn't have lived. They thought he was going to die. Um, he got blood on his brain and everything. He was in a coma for a good while. They investigated it. Murder investigation, obviously, is the thing shown in prison. This why it's a fucking dangerous place. The cameras show him going in the cell. You know, there was some DNA in the cell. Um, they all got rid of their items of clothing. But the fact is, you know, you couldn't nail any one of them for that damage. So even though it got investigated, investigated by it, it went nowhere. So this lad's in a coma. N- no one's to blame. Or... As long as you keep the gob shut. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, he comes to healthcare. So they asked us whether we'd have him as an orderly, a cleaner, because he's still got a decent sentence to do. Obviously, now he's a vulnerable prisoner. He's had brain damage. So he come on to healthcare, and he were a cracking lad. He were funny. He grafted. He got on with the nurses. But on healthcare, quite often, like I told you, we used to have unlocks, three officer unlocks or whatever. He'd talk to them. So if you're mentally unwell and you're banged up 23 hours on healthcare, it's not going to do you any good. He'd stand for hours talking to him, which helped us, you know, and he'd do a job. Anyway, we had an officer on healthcare, um, small in stature, worst officer bar none I'd ever worked with. Lazy, he was a liar. Um, no, sooner he'd be on shift, he'd want to get off. He always got off earlier than anyone else. You know, if you'd been on all day and he'd come on at dinner, he'd still be gone an hour before you. He was a complete tosser. Um, and what he started doing, this lad, he, I, I came came back upon it by accident. I was in, I was in the survey where you um, served the food. This lad's cleaning along with one of other orderlies, and I went to throw an orange at him, you know, pretending, and he winced, but it wasn't natural. So I went, what the fuck's up with you? Nothing. So I looked at the other lad, and the other lad's rolling his eyes. I went, what's going on? So the other lad says, show him your arm. So he says, no. He says, show me your fucking arm. Top off, black. Solid, bruise, all the way down. Yeah? Have you got that? So he's not saying anything. So it turns out this little officer, when he's on shift, he's going in his cell. Yeah? Dead arm every day, repeating it. Yeah? Now his arm's a fucking mess. So he's now, well, he ain't laid it at my door. I don't blame him. So I went to my manager because, you know, you've got a line of manager. We didn't have a, a prison manager, so I've gone to my nurse manager, who was then brought this up with her manager, who is a healthcare manager, not a prison manager. So there's a mini investigation. Yeah? The end result was this lad got moved off. Now, one of the lads, in fact, it was the lad who got bit in the incident with Max, I said to him, did you know he was doing this? He says, yeah, I told him not to do it. I says, but, you know, he's obviously carried on. He never did it on shift because I said, has he ever done that on shift when I were on shift? He says, no. So you've got here, you've got a shitty officer, yeah? He's no good, he's a liar, um, and he's bullying someone who's more vulnerable than him. And he's not just giving a little thing. No, no, no. No, no, no. So he got investigated. One of the healthcare assistants come up to me. She says, you got me in trouble. I went, why is that? She says, well, 
uh, because I didn't report this incident, I've been in trouble. I says, well, that's your own fault. Anyway, very frosty for a month. This was on healthcare, though. Mini investigation. He got moved off, which is what I wanted. Mini investigation. There was an officer on there who was, when he retired, 35 years in service. So not long after this lad's got moved, he says to me, this officer, on the far landing, um, we don't do that. So again, like the governor, I went, don't do what? So he starts walking off. Don't do what? So I'm following him now. And we've got to go past this orderly cell. So I blocked entrance. You know, so he couldn't go past me. Said to the orderly, take your T-shirt off. No, no, Mr. Samworth, I don't want to get in trouble. You're not going to take your fucking T-shirt off. So his arm's still yellow. It's not black now. But this is a few weeks after, Yeah, you know, you can still see. So I said to this officer, Mr. 35 years when he retired, are you happy with that? Said nothing. Yeah. Walked off. Bit frosty. Then it all started going again. But that lad, he'd shagged a couple of people in healthcare and he associated with a couple, but they all took it a bit personal. But after reading the book, loads of people contacted me and said, who's this fucking wanker? Because they knew the lad who'd who'd been in a coma, who's and and they all guessed they all knew who it was. So you know, lots of prison officers would not have put up with that. However, Mister Thirty Five Year Man and a couple of others on there, what stays in prison, you know, what happens in prison stays in prison. Yeah, I reckon it's a small man. He'll be a small man. That well, isn't it? He was the only person that was weaker than him. Yeah. But what I'm telling you is that's the worst officer I'd ever worked with. And yet people were fucking pissed at me because, you know, I bubbled him. But, you know, if people want to call me a grass for that, fair dues. But lots of people contact, lots of people wouldn't have stood for that. So there is bad people. These people who know what's right and wrong but are fearful of speaking out. You know, when I was on K-Wing and people were turning the bike and refused to speak to me, he was a shit manager and he weren't liked. But again, he was a prison officer so within them ranks, you don't say anything. But I have no allegiance to that. You know, I was my own man, so. Inmates would have just dealt with it the same way. They'd have spoke up, took it to the one of the heads and said, look, he's getting fucking bullied. And But instead of nothing happening to the guy, the bully ended up getting fucked off, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it would. It's like the person going to the head saying, oh, yeah, he's getting bullied. It's just like calling him a grass. It's not a grassing. It's informing that this guy can't fucking fight for him. Well, bullying himself. on any level. Yeah. They, they were lads. They were prisoners who, uh, particularly in private sector, you know, um, your cleaners in the private sector were your staff because you didn't get no backup. And I remember um, two lads, Ben and Den, funnily enough. Mm. Ben and Den. Uh, one was a big fucking muslehead and other was... Uh, Proper street fighter, yeah. wild man. Short in stature, didn't look anything, but he'd bang them out. And they'd deal with bullies on the wing. If someone was bullying, you know, I'd see someone in the black eye, I'd be like, uh, what's happened there? Fucking pad thief, all right? You know? <laughs> so you know? It. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And it, it also, you know, like they said, it with their wing, it kept the wing balanced. Cleaning house. It kept the wing balanced. You know, it's like if they got somebody off streets in who was stinking, they'd give him clean clothes and shower gels. Here, there, lad. There's a shower gel. Go and have a shower. 
I don't want a shower. No, listen, you go and have a shower for us because we live on here and, and that's how it works. And if you sold the hygiene for drugs, you'd get smashed. Yeah, you would. Yeah. You definitely would. So, so it, it's, self, it's self-managed. We, when we landed in Towers Jail, we'd been in this thing called a horseshoe for like three days. This building below the desert and it's just, you can't tell if it's night or day, but the heat rises and falls and you, you come out there sweating. You stink like a wet dog. Yeah, mm. and the gang members come up to you right away and say, "Look, it's you know it's the etiquette. You got to have a shower, otherwise yeah. you're going to end up getting smashed." Of course, it does. If you're thinking, you know, if people live there. I mean, the state will give you like little shampoos and all that, but we'd have care packages for all those like all races do it for their own people, where it was like a proper normal bar, so proper normal shampoo. You know what I mean? Because mm. them little bars, the fucking one of the little ones you get in the hotel. What even fucking lives are up? No. <laughs> so if you're if you're like um you've got money on your books on your inmate account and there's homeless indigent prisoners, all the fellas who've got money on their books would contribute towards helping the new people come in and the and the indigents and the homeless. In fact, incidentally, while I'm talking about them two lads briefly, it's going off off track. One of the scariest things that happened to me, um, I was on F-Wing just before I left uh, Forest Bank. A lad come up behind me. I'd had a bit of a ding-dong with him in the morning. I didn't see him coming. He was in with uh, another lad that I didn't get on with. Chucked a towel around my neck and started choking me out. Started panicking. You know, if, if anyone's, you, you know, you start panicking. The other lad's trying to punch me and... This fucker behind me is choking me out with towel. Be vulnerable, aren't you? Yeah, of course you are. Exactly. You yeah. feel vulnerable and panicking. Um, I was on with a lass, um, quite a new lass, and I'm I'm sort of trying to indicate to her, you know, press the fucking alarm bell. In private sector, you have um, you sign on to a radio in your location, and they have an alarm bell on it. But a lot of the time, you didn't get a radio, so I didn't have that. So. I'm wanting her to press a bell. Mm-hmm. So I'm fucking shouting and that. Anyway, um, this last went to the office and shut herself in. I can't blame her. She was new to the job. She was shitting herself. She was scared. Doesn't help you no more, does no, it? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Uh, anyway, somebody pressed an alarm bell, uh, probably one of the cleaners, because the cleaners did do that at yeah. times. Uh, you know, if you were in trouble or whatever and you're on your own, they'd press a bell for you. Um, and no one said anything about that. Anyway, Den and Ben. They're, in, they're inmate cleaners. Yeah. yeah. Prison. Yeah. Wing, wing cleaners. Like I said, you, you'd rely on them in the private sector. They were your backup. Do you know what I mean? Inevitably, you'd pick a couple of art bastards who'd keep stuff sorted because it helped you. You know, if, if they, you know, yourself, servery, you can have bother on servery, can't you? Yeah. You get a bully or somebody gives something, somebody they shouldn't, then they all get on it, don't they? If someone gets an extra sausage, everyone's like, Fucking give us one and it can kick off. Um, so you get lads who can handle themselves. Anyway, these two stepped in. One was sparked out, other were in a bad way. Um, like I say, one were unconscious, other one got four or five digs. Um, and then they walked off. This is Den and Ben. Staff had a look on camera. Security come back to me. You need to place them two lads on report. I went, why is that? He says, well, they've assaulted these other two prisoners. I says, what, the prisoner who were choking me out and the prisoner who were punching me? <laughs> he <laughs> says, yeah. <laughs> he says, the governor wants... So, in in private sector, you have uh, a non-employee, you have a HMP, a public sector governor, 
to do adjudications because they're independent. If you're a private prison, it's in your interest not to have assaults or report them or mobile phones because you get fined. You start with a big pot, and every time they find a phone, something comes off. Yeah. So I went to this governor. I told him what had happened. He says, yeah, you place them on report. And what he did was give them both caution, which is just like a slap on wrist. But, you know, that's how it is. I bet he felt bad to put them on report, though, didn't he, really? I explained they were both happy with that, you know, uh, and fair dues to the lads. I never saw Ben again. Den, I saw him at... He 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 got a bad drugs problem, um, diazepans and things like that. They're benzodiazepines. That I believe is the worst addiction to have. Yeah, you know, far worse than anything else. A lot of the prescription drugs are the worst ones. Yeah, of course they are. Well, they are a lot of them are, aren't they? But yeah. um, fair dues to them lads. So, just going to take you out strange ways briefly. Take me out because. What I want to do is get a prison guard, a prison officer's perspective. Sean, <laughs> listen, all the people are like, what's this fucking problem with guards and that? You call, you say what you want, mate. I don't mind. It was a bit of, uh, you know. Yeah, the right. reason I put guard in the title, because I knew it would get a lot of views. Yeah, no, that's fine. It's a more search keyword. Listen, yeah. I've done my bit for prison officers. It's just the British press. Yeah. It's people in, I'm no longer in the job. I don't give a shit what you call me. Mm. Um, to be honest now. Right, so what we're going to get here is a prison guard's perspective on Epstein's suiciding in the prison. And just to set the table for this... Uh, do you know he's got one? Not everyone has a thing with Epstein. No, I have. I I, no, no, no. I've, I've, gonna, I've followed these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him some of the facts of what happened. So he was put on suicide watch yep. after he had... Bruising around his neck. Yep. He told his lawyers that his cellmate had done that. Tartaglione was this huge... Was he an Aryan brother or daughter? Well, he was an ex-cop who became a gangster and murdered four people in a coke deal, and he was up for the death penalty. Really? Yeah. So he could snap someone's neck the size of this guy. So Epstein told his lawyer that the cop cellmate, ex-cop cellmate, had done this. So they put him on suicide watch. Now, the day before... He gets suicided. He's taken off suicide watch and his cellmate is removed. His new cellmate is removed. The cameras that are going to record all the activity in that area mysteriously stop working. And the two guards on duty simultaneously fall asleep. Now that jail, the Metropolitan Correctional Centre, there's reports over the decades of individual guards falling asleep here and there. Yeah, yeah, of course. Never have two guards fallen asleep simultaneously when the cameras have gone off at the same time. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I would imagine American prison system has procedures. You know, if someone's put on a suicide watch, they obviously have doctors in American prisons and things like that. Yeah. Psychologists, psychiatrists, right? If we had someone in Strange Ways or any, any English prison, Welsh prison, on a suicide watch, you would not... There are procedures to follow. There would be meetings, discussions. They wouldn't just be off it straight away. You know, by suicide watch, I'm, I'm presuming you mean he's pretty much on a constant watch. Suicide watch, you know, where you might check on someone five times an hour and then there's a constant watch where they continually being watched if someone is at risk. I would, I would presume they'd have a similar sort of thing. Well, in America, they put you naked in a padded cell. So you can't do fuck all. So you can't do fuck all. Five pointed. Some people will strap down um, wrists, yeah. ankles, and your head. You just piss and shit where you lay. 
And the, the, the things are padded like that, all the walls. She can't do fuck all anyway. Well, you know, the closest we've got is um, safer custody cells, which are supposed to be anti-ligature. Um, well, it stinks, doesn't it? So but, when he was suicided, that he was off suicide watch, but the guards were supposed to check on him every 20 or 30 minutes. And uh, they're being now accused of falsifying logs and that they're possible, possibly going to get uh, charged as well. But it seems like perhaps there was a lot of money paid to, for people to turn the other way and I, take, I, take the fall for all this. Um, I don't know. I think the guards are in deep shit, uh, whether they're part of that or not. But how anyone can believe that he actually killed himself, you know, what the scary fucking thing is that things like that happen to people. How common is that then? You know, um, your man David Icke, saw him talking about him. He said he'll never get to trial, he'll never leave prison. You know, he was never going to leave prison. Lots of people said that. Don't take brain of Britain. If someone has got something going in, you know, this bloody fantasy island and all these rich political royal people, you know, visiting this island, there's no way he's ever turning QE and getting on a stand and bubbling all these people, is there? No, I mean, the Clintons, Prince Andrew, probably the most powerful people um, that he was involved with. Did you watch Prince Andrew's interview on Saturday night? Oh, my night? God, how embarrassing was that? Uh, it was it was pillar in front of your face embarrassing. Honestly, it was cringeworthy. He said that paedophilic behaviour was um, unbecoming, unbecoming. Epstein was behaving in a manner unbecoming. Um. I don't even know what to say about that, to be honest, but um, it's not going away. I did see that last. She's gone to Australia, hasn't she? Virginia Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very brave. Yeah. Um, this isn't uh, like a Michael Jackson Neverland looking for millions of bucks. It's someone who's obviously been groomed. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty disgusting looking at it. Um and fair dues to her. I just hope she don't end up, you know, not on this earth, as it were. But very brave of her, and hopefully people will get behind her. Some people get behind her and support her, and they'll pursue it. So you've heard it, a UK prison guard of over 10 years saying 100% Epstein didn't kill himself. It was way too fishy, all the stuff that went on around that. No one's going to come after me, are they now? <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all that thought, right, 10 years. Let me tell you now. I've just got to get this out there. Come. I did 25 years in engineering before joint prison service me. Let me tell you about engineering. Dirty, dangerous, horrible, long shifts. I saw a couple of people die. I saw people maimed. Um, dangerous environment. So before I joined the prison service, I got a 25-year work history me. You know, I worked hard. Prison officers, you know, they have this thing about timing, yeah? More timing, you know, if someone's done 30 years, I should respect them. As you know, old classic, respect is earned, not given. Mm -hmm. I worked with two of the longest serving at Manchester, both over 35 years. One was an abject coward. I can honestly say that. I don't mean he got no bottle, he was a coward. He would ignore situations. I've had him sat as close as you are to me when I've been toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone. He weren't a fighter. I didn't expect that, but what I'd like to him has done, 
He's wandered over to a bell and put his finger there ready to press it. He kept his head in a book and pretended it didn't happen. Yeah. More than once. So 35 years, he's getting no respect off me. The other 35-year man was one of these old school, we don't do that. So I lost respect for him. And the third one I never worked with was probably one of the laziest people I have ever met in my life who was a drunk all his prison career. He probably did nearly 40 years. So I worked with officers who were doing 20 years and they were cracking officers and 25 years. So I will give them respect. But time in didn't make him a good officer and it didn't, it didn't make him experienced. Time in, it just guarantees you used to being around prisoners and that's it. So now I've clarified that. Let's move on. You've got on the list dirty process and shit slingers. We did cover that in the last video. Do you have additional stories on that? Um, I, I just... From talking to people, they, they always ask you about dirty protests. They don't understand it. Uh, Forest Bank was the worst dirty protest I've ever dealt with. Um, we had a lad called Tommy Beveridge. He was uh, quite a prolific Liverpool gangster. Um, probably around about the 80s, well known. He allegedly, have you ever heard of Paul Sykes? Paul Sykes was uh, a bit of um, a legend in Yorkshire prisons. That. He was a Yorkshireman, a big, strong fucker. They did a documentary and he was a fighter. You know, when he was at Armley and places like that, he'd have 12 screws with riot gear and that, following him to showers and following him back. Well, this Tommy Beveridge, and somebody else backed it up on this, had him a one-on-one -on -one and actually did him. So in his time, he's been a bit of a lad. We got him from Strangeways, actually. They palmed him off. You know, I said private sector, sometimes they get shit on. Mm -hmm. They emptied their seg and we got this Tommy Beveridge. They didn't want him. It was a nightmare. Three or four staff went sick from the seg. He was uh, good with mind games, intimidation and that. He actually got on the phone. We put him on the phone. My SO took a dislike to me, this lad. He's on the phone speaking to one of his gangster friends saying there's a twat here called Samworth. There can't be a lot of Samworths in Manchester. I want you to find him and fucking shoot him. Yeah, so I said to the SO, are you going to let him? He says, well, he's entitled to a phone call. Do you know what I mean? He got no ass. So, however, however, he was down the block a long time, went to a wing, come back to the block. We did get on in the end. You know, reason reason does win through in the end, and me and him did get on. However, when he was down there, he went on dirty protest. He wanted out of private sector jail. He was an old, old type con. He wanted to go to either Liverpool or back to Strangeways or whatever. He didn't want to be in a private prison. Went on a dirty protest. He said it was nothing to him. I said, why are you doing this? You know. Just get me out of jail. You know, he'd have shit all out walls, he'd lick it, that sort of thing. He said, it's just shit. However, at that time, we had a bit of a sort of mini riot, so we ended up with six or seven um, young offenders down there, 18 to 21-year-olds, and he got them on dirty protests. So we had eight cells with people shitting up. It fucking stank for about a fortnight. Literally, as you walked off the unit... You'd get rid of your clothes, gym bag, put some shorts and a T-shirt off. It was horrendous. I'd be humming that down. It, it, was, it was shocking. It was shocking. It, it was brought to an early end, I'll tell you why. My mate did that. However, we had the IMB, Board of Visitors, three old ladies who come on. They were there 
volunteers who come into prison for prisoners or staff. They walked on one day. They used to sign in and then come onto the landing. Before they got through, one had been sick and they were off. We didn't see them for a fortnight. We didn't see nobody for a fortnight. So I was talking to my friend, Loey, who was an SO down there, a good lad, about how it got resolved because I can't remember it. So what they did one day, because it, what you should do procedurally is offer them a shower every day, offer them a chance to clean the cell and put them in a clean cell with clean clothes. Eight cells, shit up, we ain't got no cells to do that. So one day, put two lads out on the yard who were both on dirty protest. And when they come in, he forced them in opposite cells. So, <laughs> you two, <laughs> you're in a cell with wild man shit and wild man's in with your shit. <laughs> anyway, they were screaming and kicking off. So he says, you know, unless you sort yourselves out, so those two decided to shower and clean the cells, which is what they did, and then the others followed suit. <laughs> it's a good way of doing it, that. Yeah, it yeah. Is. I, I didn't know that. It was only, you know, a couple of months ago speaking to him. You don't shit your own shit. You get used to that smell, yeah, don't you? but you're not putting up with someone else's no. shit, are you? No. Oh. Sure. <laughs> I've never heard that strategy before. Me neither. So we got we, we um, self-harm next. Self-harm, right. Um, I had a good grounding in self-harm. Before I joined... <laughs> it's all light stuff today, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> right, somebody somebody said, another critic, you know, someone I used to work with, fucking hell, Sam has recorded every incident that he's ever been involved in in his book, How Sad. But unfortunately, it's not. Could do another two books like that, Sean. So let's talk about self-harm. So, round about 1998, my mate, Kev Sobrolski, who encouraged me to go in the prison service, I thanked him on the last podcast. Um, Keep going, I'm just going to grab my coat. No worries. Um, get mine too, lads, please, isn't it? Fucking hell. I'm you, cold. You, you're not fucking Yorkshire, lads, are you? No, no. <laughs> no, I'm fine, okay. me. He's got shorts on, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you fucking Nesh fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> we used to be Arizona. He. No. He's got his shorts on. Hello. Anyway. <laughs> Are you listening now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a mank term. I hate that. <laughs> anyway, so this company working in psychiatric units. So what they did with me, I, I told them my background, told them I'd done uh, my restraint through being a bouncer and stuff like that. So I started working at this unit um, that was near Chesterfield. There was another one near Mansfield. So when I first went, Kev told me a bit about it. It was like a premier lodge, which is a budget lodge you'll have in America, a budget hotel, two-storey. But someone had bought it out and turned it into a mental health unit. Now, they were female only in this unit, the first one I worked at. It was about 11 people upstairs and maybe seven downstairs. Um, the lasses downstairs being more acute, as in uh, more violent, more unwell. So when I got there, you got people as young as 20. These are all female, young as 20 and as old as 60, 65. So my, my first day, nurse about 60 says to me, right, what we do, we have a briefing every day. Like we used to on healthcare, mental health is all the same. If you're on a mental health unit, low secure, high secure, you have a briefing so you know what you're dealing with. So she said, right, you're new to it. Have a read at a couple of files get a couple of backgrounds on some of these lasses and you'll see they all come from a similar thing. They've all been abused, usually by men, uh, as kids, rape, that sort of thing. 
Some were born mentally unwell, some have become unwell, some are in here for other reasons. So the first lass we got out, um, she was a black lass and she'd come from another unit that was supposed to handle people better. However, she'd been too violent. So she she says to me and these others, what she does this last, she lays in bed all day. They're not having that in mental health. You know, they encourage people to come out. And like you said, wild man, the hygiene thing. Yeah, so she'd lay in bed stinking. Yeah. So this nurse says, right, we're going to go in, have a word with her. I'm going to give her a chance to get out of bed. A couple of minutes, she don't get out of bed. There's about five of us, a couple of lads, a couple of lasses, and this nurse. We're going to pick her up on a mattress, bring her into the hallway, put her down, lock her door and she can go and have a shower. So she refused. We picked her up, mattress. Before we put it on for, she jumped up, uh, cracked this nurse, who's about 60 on chin, cracked me in nose, spat in someone else's face, and then we restrained her. <laughs> in these units, there was, there was no locks or anything used. When you were restraining people, it was least force as possible, and if you were on the floor for any length of time, which could be, you would use pillars in that. So this last pillar under head, pin her down till she calmed down. Eventually, she calmed down, let her up, she went and showered. Now we get to self-harm. Um, a lot of people, a lot of women, uh, self-harm's more prolific. Uh, we might as well get straight into it. Young lass, bear in mind, a lot of these women have been abused by men, so you have to gain the trust. So you're not standing about like a screw or a doorman, um, you know, this last said to me, just just be as natural as you can. If you're on a one-to-one -one with someone, if someone's at risk of harming themselves, you know, you chat with them. If you're on a going garden, you can go in because it's cameraed up, but never leave yourself on your own. You know, never go into the bedroom on your own or anything like that because you leave yourself vulnerable. So this first last come up chatting, who are you? Um, big lass. Um, I don't know. Five foot two, maybe 20 odd stone. So she says, can I show you a picture of my sister? So I says, yeah. Shows me this picture of her sister. She says, pretty, isn't she? I said, yeah, she, she says, that's me. I went, really? Yeah, two years ago. Antipsychotics. Side effect of antipsychotics, people put weight on. Terrible. So this lass, who has had a bit of an episode on the out, kicked off, got arrested by police, went to prison, kicked off in prison, she ended up in a mental health unit, on antipsychotics, put 10 stone on. She's depressed. The actual weight. Fucking hell, Sean. What is up with you? He's got his rape gloves on, though. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, get a grip. So, this, this lass, um, she's put loads of weight on, um, which is sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, she says, do you want to feel my arm? So, this is some sort of pervy thing. She's a big lass. Her arm went massive, Sean. It was like my fucking leg. So, she, she took my hand and put it on her arm and it was red hot. So I says, fucking hell, what? I didn't say fucking hell, obviously. I'm, yeah. mm. I says, what's that? She says, um, I've got staples in my arm. I says, what do you mean? Out of magazines, about 200 staples in her arm. She'd inserted them. she inserted them? Yep. But it was obviously infected. Oh. So she'd come from another unit. She hadn't been there long. The unit I was on, Sundays, when the papers were given out, you you take all the staples out of the magazines. You won't give them anything because they would use anything. But this lass, you know, incredibly unwell, put a lot of weight on. Um, you know, she's in a bad way. So there was a lass I got warned about. They called her octopus again. This this is just 
there's the staff did as well, it's because they knew who she was. Um, when I first saw her, she was a big lass. She had three men, had to be three men who could handle themselves dealing with her. Okay, though. I'm worried about wild man getting hypothermia. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he's going. <laughs> 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 right, where were we? <sighs> when I saw this last, she's a big lass, and I was told she could fucking fight. When she kicked off, she punched like a man. Yeah, so they had three big lads on her. When I first saw her, I was put on her. I did a night shift. So I got explained again, right? You sit outside a room, door shut, so you can see if she gets up, but obviously giving her a bit of privacy as well. She's three all the time, never less than three. Don't leave your mates. If one of you needs a toilet, get somebody else to come because when she kicks off, she's a fucking handful. And when I got to see her, the reason they called the octopus was um, her skin and her face looked like suckers. Yeah. Um, really quite shocking. The first time I got quite close. And the thing about some of these people is they, they are quite, you know, astute. They're quite aware. You know, she come up, she says, I ain't seen you before. Um, have you heard about me? Do you know what I can do? You don't want to get on the wrong side of me, this sort of thing. It was fucking fag burns, Sean. Oh, God. Her body was covered in fag burns. Oh, I don't really know had a fag burn. Incre incredibly painful burns like that. Oh. She was covered. At one point, I actually saw a stubber fag out in her eye. Oh. Oh. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Sean. Oh. I'm trying to keep it light. But, but this is how it is. This is what you have to understand. Oh. Right? Now, let me tell you about the staff, basically. The staff in them units were incredibly caring, the mental health nurses, the healthcare assistants, everyone. You know, you tried to make it as natural as possible. I didn't feel uncomfortable there, me, but the people incredibly unwell. Um, it, I, I come across my first person um, who had Tourette's in there. We all know what Tourette's is. You know, you get ticks. Uh, you can shout things out, can be quite extreme. It can be funny, but it's quite serious. It, it can, it? Yeah, of course it can. It, it, I, I would imagine it's quite traumatic for people yeah. who have it. But from actually watching it, same as dementia, when like, it's, I, I know there's nothing funny about it, but when they first like get older and they start doing dementia, they just do like silly little things yeah, that are quite they do. funny. But it gets serious then, and then before you know it, they're going out the house and not knowing where they're going, they're wandering exactly. down the street, so it's serious. So this, this last weren't there when I did my first shift, first few shifts. I got told, because I was the new guy, you know, um, she would probably pick up on my name and then it'd go from there, but I weren't quite prepared, so I turns up this day. And they were, they were really good, this company, nice. Like I say, a lot of them were ex-screws, but what they did... They tested you. So they would contact the unit. What's this guy like? At first, I might have got a shift a week, and then eventually I was working pretty much full-time. Yeah. You know? they, they check on you because th these women are vulnerable, and you don't want people, like say, going in, acting like bouncers. And so it's not like, like an agency, though. It's like... It was, but it, it was, it's still going. They were, they, were very, they were very professional. Yeah. You know, they checked. You know, if, if, if the home said, this guy's a bit on top, then he weren't working there again. You know, because it was this these people's living space. Well, there's one of some big lads there as well, though, wouldn't they, really? This last I was on, I'll tell you now, you know, I she never kicked off when I were there. When she did, you know, they ended up with fucking broken noses and all sorts. Um, so, anyway, the first time this last turned up with Tourette's, she'd been out to hospital. Um, she had shorts. 
<laughs> she weren't Nash either. Um, a big, what she'd done here, she got, um, she basically taken the skin off a leg and she inserted things. A lot of them do. Um, so it was a big open wound on her thigh and she would put anything in it, anything she could get hold of. When he took these lasses out into the garden, it was camered up so you were safe. Um, they would pick things up, anything, stones, bricks. They'd put a biro in there. They'd put twigs in and they would insert things in the legs in an open wound. So this lass, it had got that bad a wound. She'd been to hospital and had a skin graft. Yeah. So when she come in, again, oh, I don't know you, walk straight up. What's your name, Sam? You can't! What? Woo, and that was it. And then it was every time she saw me shouting. But everyone else, no one, no one, you know, no one reacted to it or anything like that. And that went on for weeks. Every time she saw me, she'd shout my name, she'd swear she'd do all sorts. And it was sad. The thing was, this last, I ended up on uh, two on one with her. She was trying to pull the skin graft off, which she eventually did to start inserting again. Um, it sounds sick that Sean, but these lasses are incredibly unwell, yeah? One of them, however, very sad tale, um, she was about 22, so she'd been nonced. Uh, Mum and dad had been noncing her pedos, um, other family members, and when she was 14, her sister was 11, her sister set her family home on fire, and her mum and dad burnt to death. Payback for payback. I have no, I have no fucking problem with that, mate. No. Um, the police knew it was a sister. Uh, the forensic evidence pointed to a sister. A sister denied it, and she said she did it. So she got locked up. Um, as a young, I'm, I'm not sure. Anyway, she went to some sort of youth offenders place, and then when she was 18, she was in a female prison, and she kicked back. And she became violent, so they moved her to a forensic unit, put her on antipsychotics. Um, she she then done. She'd been in since since she was fourteen, locked up. It was about eight years. They said there was a chance she'd never get out because she'd become that violent and kicked back that much. And in this country, I don't know about America. In this country, there's no limit on how long they can hold you. You know, I've seen people finish a sentence in prison, go to some sort of mental health unit, and 12 years later, they're still there. They can hold you indefinitely. Yeah, they fuck up, because there's a thing, it's called Rule 11, and when you when you go in there, you think, okay, well, if I do this Rule 11 now, I'll, go, I'll get a cushy number and go and do psych and not do the prison, you know what I mean? And it's not dangerous cushy territory. At all. No, it's dangerous think, territory. You know, we fucking, like... All they do is give you Thorazine and Cyrocol, and you're just fucking permanently pilled up, and it's like living in with the loons, and you need three doctor's, doctor's signatures to get you back out, and you, you're going worse and worse and worse and worse. Well, you, if you're not mentally unwell and they give you that medication, you know, with mentally unwell people, it puts them right. With people if you like don't us, need it, well, you're that's faking it. You know exactly. What I mean? Exactly. And then, you can only cheeky for so long. Yeah. Watch, watch you of take course they it. will. And it will make you ill. I had a cellmate, Troll, who was going around with skid stains on his boxes and going around all unkempt so he could do the Rule 11 gig. Yeah. Dangerous. Dangerous route to go into it. So, as you can see, this unit, the self-arm was horrendous. I'll just finish one off. This was a lass. Oh, there's two lasses. Last called Marie. 
this is over 20 years ago. Marie was uh, early 60s. She might well not be with us now. Another sad story. This lass at uh, about 17. The thing is, Sean, do you, do you know these things? What you, you can carry on asking me things. You can ask me that. You, you can't forget these people. This Marie, very wary of men. But again, because I've got a bit of a girly side, I'm quite happy to, you know. Um, I got on with her as well. You could have a decent conversation. And a lot of these lasses had opened up and tell you. And the reason she was in, again, and, you know, it's a familiar story, mum and dad non-sinner. So she was put... Um, bear in mind this, I was trying to work this out on the way here because she popped into my head. So it's early 2000, this, maybe 2000. She's 60-odd. So it would be probably... 1950s when she was 17 she cut her grandfather's throat in bed yeah and she stuck a stiletto heel in her grandmother's head and killed her uh, they deemed that she was mentally unwell because she'd done that they locked her up so she'd been locked up till 17 she's in her 60s in a forensic unit no life outside when I first met her she was unmedicated so what's that tell you she weren't mentally unwell she was very much institutionalised and she said, this is pretty much my life. They'll never let me go now. She had been an handful, you know, over the years and stuff like that. And on, on a final note, that unit, I love working there. I applied for a job at private sector prison and I couldn't make my mind up whether to stay working in there because I loved it, I enjoyed it. It was quite rewarding or good at private sector. But the last couple of weeks I went in there, there was a, there was a different atmosphere just before I joined Forest Bank. I remember seeing one at nurses, um, they were all pretty much in tier staff and they'd had a new psychiatrist. The doctor who had been in charge of these two homes had moved on. They got another one. And his method of controlling people was to over-medicate them. Mm. I remember seeing this Marie, like you said, just drooling, sat in a chair, didn't recognise me. They were all like that. Mm. They were just all completely monged out. Not politically correct, I know. But they were just all, you know, and the staff were upset because they'd got no life. No. And that's how it works with different doctors, psychiatrists and stuff like that. Just pill them up, pill just, them up. Exactly. They, you know, less staff, need less staff as well. They just, you know, so, so that were pretty shocking. It's interesting because it's, it's become a reoccurring theme on this podcast that behind a lot of big crimes and murders and violent crimes is a childhood tragedy, including paedophilia and physical, other physical abuse. We had a guy on here... He had a situation, and every time he got out of prison, he went to kill that guy, and then he put him back in prison, and then he got out again. He went straight to the guy's house, try and kill him again. So on the women's side, from what you've just said, it looks like it's just the same. Fucking horrendous. They'd all, they'd all pretty much been abused. Uh, you know most of the stories, and uh, like I say, if you've got any humanity in you, it's the stories behind it. Now, Now... You know, on reflection, looking back, working on the healthcare, like I said, when people come on there, you had to know the backgrounds, but you also, they'd tell you the stories. And most of the people on there and shitloads of prisoners have been abused. It's like it's like a cycle, because we had John Wedger, the ex-detective, he was assigned to Vice, and he saw the underage prostitutes, well, victims of child sex trafficking, but they were being pimped out as prostitutes. And... They all had this trauma from childhood, abuse, sexual abuse. Then they get on drugs and alcohol to try and deal with that. Yep. That puts them bigger into the criminal fraternity. Yep. And then it's that step ladder then to the prison system through, through more and more crimes. 
to your how, how I mean how could society is it the care homes I mean, what, what could society do to stop this because it seems Our like these care staff. homes right look you're getting pimped out by care home owners somehow. right listen your DBS check it's changed its name now hasn't it it's not called a DBS check but basically your criminal background check enhanced check so if you're going to work with kids they do that check yeah it goes through various things and the coppers however if you've never been nicked and you've got no offence, you're going to fucking pass it. I don't know what you're going to do, Sean. I worked, I told you, when I left Forest Bank before I went to Strangeways, I worked in a private kids' home. Um, there were six kids in there, two staff on shift. There were one office staff, two office staff, and a manager. We didn't really see them. So basically it was six kids to two staff, and I was the relief. So if one was sick or one was off. The kids that we got in there... Um, they're all going to end up in prison. Zach, um, Zach and Rob, two brothers. Um, Rob was just so far behind with education. He was like an animal. They'd be basically been locked up and fed pot noodles. The family had uh, another four kids who they looked after and treated normal. Um, they were both definitely going to end up in prison. There was a young lad who was a flasher. He'd been abused to fuck. He was uh, six foot two and he started flashing. And I've seen people like that. And at some point, if you don't get locked up and he stays on the planet, he'll end up being a rapist or something like that. Um, there was a young lad I took to a foster home in Hull eventually. He was 11 when he came to us. He looked seven. He'd been buggered stupid by his dad. <sighs> and his dad's brother, he worshipped his dad. He worshipped his dad. Yeah? he got sexualised behaviour. He smoked. He drank. He'd been nicking cars at 11. Um... And I actually went on a supervised visit. You could not leave him. You, you couldn't go to the toilet when you went on these visits. You'd have a visit with his dad. I, I took him bowling with his dad. He absolutely adored his dad. You know, it's sick. It's absolutely sick. It turns your stomach. And his dad was beast to him? He had been, yeah. He was taken off him. Uh, I took him to see his mother once. His mother was then a lesbian. I fucked up with that as a fucking relationship going. But, you know, these kids don't stand a chance. You know, the the one who were flashing, again, he was he was like a six-year-old in a man's body. But obviously society ain't going to tolerate that sort of thing, so what do you do with them? And I'll tell you what, there's very little psychological input or anything like that. A lot of social workers are like prison officers, 50% good, 50% percent i not got a fucking clue. Mm. I'm about to interview a guy who's got a book out. He's on, he's on his last month on the planet. He's, he's that sick right now. He's got a book out called The Meat Rack Boy. And it's come out, you know, he was abused prolifically. He's passed around the care homes, and the care homes are renting him out in London. And he's saying to the cops, um, you know, they're admitting, you know, I've been paid compensation, they're admitting some of this now. Where's the prosecutions? And the cops said, oh, well, everybody that abused is probably dead by now. And he said, well, when I was a kid, I went to the police department and told them, and they just took me back to the care home. And that's when they were still alive. So it's like there's this cycle where these vulnerable people, nobody cares about them. And no. There's a lad that, do you know what really got to me? It is knowing these guys' background. So this lad I first met, I was, I was trying to work out how old he was. Probably at that time he was about 30. Yeah. Uh, famous house in, again, if you're from Manchester, excuse me, I haven't researched this. I only know it from the stories and that. I think it was called Rosewood House. Might have been itself in Manchester. Um, 
So I'm down the segregation and I was this guy's personal officer. You used to get so many cells. Whoever were in them, you were their personal officers. If you've got any problems, sort them out. So he, I know he'd been an handful, certainly in his late teens and in his 20s, he'd been a fucking nightmare. Cell fires. He actually set his cell fire and had dirty protests while he were um, down the Seget Forest Bank. So he was a nightmare. So anyway, one day, we make Laurie again. There's Slister coming to see him. Would you go and have a word with Slister first? And then would you sit in? We're going to bring Slister on here, adjudication room, which is 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 where you um, hold your adjudications, which is where people get placed on report down Seg. Yeah. Every Seg has it. It's just a bit of office space we used it as. So I met this solicitor, so he says, right, I'm investigating this Robles house here. I've got um, so many people on books. I know this lad you've got down here was here between these years and was abused. So what I'm trying to do, we're trying to get a case, we're trying to prosecute people who are still here, and we're trying to get these people um, compensation. Okay. So Guz are going to add a word with the lad. He, he went up for it. I says, look, just listen to what he's got to say. All right. So he sits in with him. He goes through everything, and... He says, I appreciate what you're trying to do. He says, I worry, it's fuck my life up, drugs and alcohol. If you get me any compensation, I will either drink or take drugs and kill myself. He says, and much as I hate myself, um, I don't want to do that. One of my friends... Stuff, sensible things well, yeah, done. yeah. So, but again, you know, the, the really sort of nutcases, I had quite an affinity with him. I didn't learn... Till later, he had scars on his face, very strange scars. He did self-harm that one of my friends told me later, when he was a juvenile, he actually tried to cut his own face off. And when she told me that, it made sense because the scars were like chewing gum, you know, proper, and they were all round his face. Ah, oh, right, right, I know what you mean. And he had tried to take his own face off. So he actually he actually set his cell on fire um, when he was down there and that. But like I say, you know when you know the background and that, and most screws don't know the background. On a wing, you don't know, on K-Wing, 200 prisoners, I, I didn't know what any of them were in for. No. On the healthcare, and when I was in the segregation, you obviously get to know people. Um, and because I was his personal officer and sat in with that solicitor, I knew his story, so I could see where he was coming from. Um, he was a really troubled lad. I mean... There is some comedy moments with these people. I remember he was uh, he was in top jail and he kicked off just before I left. So he was being carried to the segregation unit, yeah. He'd cut up, uh, assaulted another prisoner and loads of staff had had to go in and restrain him. So he was being carried. I actually opened the gate as all the staff are coming, carrying him on his back, cuffed, because he was kicking off. So as he's walking past me, looking up, he's like that. You're right, Mr. Samworth. I'm like, yeah. Are you? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he sort of, you know, continued his cussing and struggling and swearing. But but when you see the background, you know, they've had a shit life. And the thing was, Sean, if that were one, maybe you could put it back in mind, but it weren't. There was a lad in the book who talk, talked about Alan Taylor. He's dead now. His dad, his name's just come, come to mind now. I think he was Mulgrew, his father. People can look his name up. One of the most prolific paedophiles this country's ever known. However... I saw this fucker on a couple of sentences at Strange Ways. Americans have got it right. How can the most prolific paedophile, how can I see him for a couple of sentences at Strange Ways? He's probably done five or six sentences. In America, you're getting slammed, aren't you? If you get done again, you're getting 99 years or summer. In this country, for me, sex offences, rape, paedophilia, 
the 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 punishment does not fit the crime. The whole justice system's upside down. You got political paedophiles getting slaps on the wrists, the, and you got people for weed in America. You got people for weed well, doing life sentences on the free strikes. You know what? If they decriminalised it, they'd empty off the American jails, wouldn't they? Yeah, but it keeps them in business. Well, of course it does, which is wrong. <laughs> anyway, this Alan Taylor, right? Very disturbed. He used to scribble all scriptures all over his cells. And remember the number one governor, who's the main man in the jail, once coming on, he said to me, "Come here. How's how's this lad being allowed to do this?" So I looked his cell, scriptures everywhere. I says, well, he'll get a pen or a crane or anything. And, you know, the clergy's been down here, chaplain and that. These are proper scriptures. You know, he's been abused as a kid. He's in prison for nothing. What do you want us to do? He says, well, paint his cell. I said, all right, we paint his cell. You know what? We paint his cell, you know, like four or five days later. He's up all night. Scriptures everywhere, right? He was fucking, he never had no psychological input. Three times he was on health care. Three times he left, the housing officer tried to get him somewhere to live. Three times we put him back on the streets because they couldn't find him anywhere. And he eventually hung himself from some viaduct in Manchester <sighs> Centre. Well, if them scriptures made him feel better, you should just let him have them. They're not having no fun. We'd already made that decision. Number one governor, you know, yeah, he's not having none of that. He wanted to know how a prisoner had been able to do that. But again, you know, it, it does affect you. One, one of my other lads, who again knew him, he was a nice lad. His offences were fuck all. You wouldn't even have locked him up for him, you know. He was yeah. in it a month at a time. He said, you know, it's just incredibly sad and you can't help but think about him. Not like we're coming to the end of this on a lighter subject. Your next one on the <laughs> list is deaths in custody. Deaths Martin in custody. Smith. Fucking hell, how long we got? Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> right. Um, Martin Smith, people can look his name up. He's from North East. He's obviously dead now. Um, what he did, he nonced his stepdaughter. So he's married, he nonced his stepdaughter. He got two kids himself. So the heat was coming on. So him and his missus fucked off to Spain with the two kids, two youngsters. They they believed in sort of some sort of bizarre afterlife. It was actually on uh, that Most Haunted. Have you ever seen that? Psychics and stuff like that. I, I don't watch that, but I've, I've yeah, seen it. I've you know, it's supposed to be a bit of a I don't psychic. Know what it's about, yeah. Anyway, yeah. it was coming on top. They fucked off to Spain. He got caught, extradited. His missus tried to kill herself after killing the two young kids. Oh. So they, she killed their kids. He got brought back to this country. Oh. She got locked up in Spain doing life. Jesus. We got him because he had his trial in Manchester because his solicitor said he won't get a fair trial in North East because uh, everyone knew he was. He was a fucking horrible bastard from day one. Obnoxious, didn't believe they'd done anything wrong, thought he was going to get off. We had him on a constant watch. A constant watch is for someone who's at risk of killing themselves. Mm. Normally, 24 hours max, the crisis is over. Maybe two days. This fucking idiot were on eight months because the doctor wouldn't take him out because he said he was going to kill himself. He got sentenced to 16 years. One of my mates, bit of uh, screw humour, it might not come across. When he come back, we knew he got his 16 years and we hated him because he was an horrible bastard. Not because not of what he'd done, he was just obnoxious. Mate says to him, uh, bear in mind he's supposed to be a psychic. You're right, Martin. Not really saying anything. He says, what did you get? Because I got 16 years. He says, yeah, you didn't see that coming, did you? That screw humour, you know what I mean? Supposed to be a psychic, Sean. Is it coming through to you? <laughs> anyway, he was horrible. Eight months later, he's moved off healthcare. He's on E-Wing, VP-Wing, which is all pedos and that. We sees the SO on there, Stu. Me and my mate says, why is he still here? He's got 16 years. 
he's settled now, you know, he's going to work. We're taking him off his act form. About two weeks later, he topped himself. He didn't hang himself. He crocodile rolled. Tied something to his uh, bed head, got in bed, rolled, tightened it. His head nearly come off it with that tight. Oh, is that what it's called? A crocodile roll? That's what he did. Crocodile roll, death rolled. However, that lad always said he was going to kill himself, which is why he was on a constant watch. So he goes down statistics. Statistics, strange ways, bad place, another hanging. Whatever jail he'd have gone to, he would have topped himself. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. The other thing is, while I'm on this, let's finish on a, a good positive. Always see deaths, you know, 13 deaths at strange ways in 213 or whatever. So many deaths here. Some of these people can't handle what they've done. Guilt, um, IPP sentences, you've discussed that. Indeterminate, you know, no light, end at tunnel. But I have never seen anywhere how many lives we saved at strange ways or Risley or Liverpool. You know, people who are cut down, brought back to life, and there's shitloads of them. You know, people you stop bleeding to death. People that you stop who are, who are being badly bullied and things like that. Now, would you go and save a nonce the same as you save a normal lad who's just having a hard time? I knew you were going to ask that. Right. Me, yeah, me, and most staff, you'd have a choice in that situation, wild man. If somebody on E-Wing is hanging, the staff who would always go in and try CPR and the staff who don't want to be involved, they don't want to do the paperwork, and they don't want to end up at coroners. Yeah? As it is, I've never been in that situation. But I would imagine it's like the cell fires. You, you do what you do. Some people will run and grab a hose and try and put it out. Other people will think, fuck that, I'm not getting involved. Yeah. You know, so I would, it's, I would it's think, a difficult one. I would think, if I was a guard then, I would think, that fucker could molest more kids. Just let them finish themselves. It's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, but well, you're bound by your duty, aren't you? Preserve life. Yeah. That, that is what is at the back of mind, but I was never in that situation. However, oh, fucking hell. Have we got a couple of minutes? Yeah, go for it. So I'm at, uh, I'm at Forest Bank. Two self-fires, two lads, both... One who was definitely dead and we brought round. He was called George Fendick. I can mention his name. He's dead now. Liverpool jail. You might have crossed paths with him. He was well known. He was an horrible bastard, a druggie, a robber, a uh, bad smackhead. He set his cell on fire. What he did him, um, this, this brought a smile to quite a lot of us. He got five years for about 13 burglary stroke robberies, which is fuck all. No. Yeah. He was expected to get a lot more. He appealed it. He weren't happy with that. Everyone told him, including his solicitor, leave it. I don't know how it got to high court, but he managed to get to the high court. He appealed it? Yeah, he appealed it. The daft bastard. Come back with 12. Come back with 12 years. <laughs> right. I'm, he might have come back with 10 years, but he certainly got a fucking bigger sentence. And however the process worked, that did happen. I'll tell you now. These people I work with who will back me up on that. However, set his cell on fire. So he's an horrible twat. Him, I did not. Nobody liked him. No. He got Ep C, Ep B, and AIDS as well. This lad, because he used to throw blood products about at you. So we've gone in his cell. He's brown bread. Seg staff before nursing staff got him breathing. He's gone to hospital. We saved his life. Yeah. Another one. 
another lad who isn't dead, so I won't mention his name. Um, he was a scouser. He chopped chopped someone's arm off in a road rage incident. Some old person um, and tried to do his missus as well. A fucking proper horrible little bastard. Do you have like a meat cleaver or something? A machete, I think. Machete. Pulled the... Sort of pull the motor bonnet and fucking. Oh. Anyway, so he's an he's an horrible little bastard. However, his was his was a bad cell fire, and we weren't alerted till it was in a bad way. Yeah, walk past cell, fucking doors red hot. You talk to field door, it was red hot. Hose pipe. When we brought him out, um, he got some burns to his arms, on his back, uh, smoke coming out. You know, you're doing CPR. Yeah. Everyone's coughing like fuck. Saved his life. Not just me personally. I don't mean it like that. Uh, interesting little backup story to that. Um, I'm on holiday. Comes back. So there's a new guy down the seg. Oh, we're off to London with a manager next week. I said, oh, why is that? Uh, getting an award. What for? Saving this guy's life. This lad didn't work on there. Two staff who weren't involved went with a manager on a bit of a jolly... Yeah, she got an award. She weren't there for this lad's life being saved. I don't want a pat on back. Most prison officers don't. You know, cell fires, hanging, shit like that. However, it was a bit off that somebody who weren't involved. This has raised some really good questions, and I'm going to put it to the audience if you can put this in the comments. Number one, if you were a guard and someone was hanging themselves, would you save the life? Depending upon the crimes. Would, are there some crimes you'd save the life, some crimes you wouldn't save the life? And uh, be truthful as well. Don't fucking lie. <laughs> tell the truth. I'll tell them the truth right now. I wouldn't save no nonsense fucking life. I'd fucking put extra petrol on his fucking fire himself personally. So be truthful about it. Next question is, you know, Sam's come on by popular demand. You guys have watched hundreds of thousands of views on his videos. Would you like him to come on again? What we've been doing with guests is we've been telling them if the first podcast gets 100,000 views, then we'll consider them to have, to have them back on. Because a lot of people are saying, get this guy back on, get this guy back on, get this guy back on. Please only send those requests if there's 100,000 views. Let us know for the third podcast with Sam what questions you have for him. And what we'll do is we'll print all those questions out and we'll ask them in on the third podcast. And is there anything you would like He's to... He's a hard Yorkshire man. His blood must be like fucking snow <laughs> freezing in here. I woke up this morning to do, my, to do my Daily Epstein video. I saw the sun, went out to my parents' yard. Yeah, man. I could see the fog coming out of my breath this morning. I couldn't do the video outside. He's got his shorts on and we're in here with, with, with coats and gloves. Um, what I'm going to urge you to do also, Sam's been very generous with his time. He came down south for the first one. He's come over from Manchester for this one to Liverpool. Um, can you all put a click over down below this in the description box and check out Sam's socials if you're inclined to buy his book it is available on audio I know a lot of people on YouTube like to read don't like to read they like to just listen to the audio versions you oh. lazy bastards isn't <laughs> <laughs> that lazy it's good to driving around in your car listening to audio books I do it as well now um, please go down to the description box and look at Sam's links to all his stuff and his book is called A, a, a Prison Guard Story 
Prison officer story, straight away. <laughs> Just waiting for the correction there. Right, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> it is available as an e-book, as a paperback, as an audiobook, worldwide on Amazon. Links are in the description box for all that. If you want to watch the other Manchester stories, we've got Alan Lord, we've got Daryl, shot gangster shot 20 times, Mossside gangster. So we are setting up different playlists now for Manchester gangsters, prison guard stories, ex-cop stories. You could just there's hours and hours of content on the and channel. And we've got now. strangling gloves on. <laughs> Rape kit. <laughs> Rape right, kit. To, I'd like to put in a pillar. I'm, I'm gonna have yeah. a go, I'm gonna have a go at doing another book, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, other book we're deeply dark. We don't want to go down the same route. Um I've got three lads, uh ex customers that used to lock up who are gonna tell me their stories. I'm looking for some positivity. So if there's anyone out there who knows me, who I got on with or didn't get on with, who's managed to get away from a life of crime or whatever, and now he's doing really well, and you don't mind me telling your story, Sean will tell you, you're not going to make millions from a book. But what I need, I want some positivity, and I want to put some stories out there to say, you know, people can change and can make it. But what will happen is everyone will buy all the book with the dark stories, because on this channel... The most watched videos are like prison gang rapes and beheading stories. I've got life lessons crime, and positive videos. Nobody watches them. On on a last note, we didn't we didn't start beginning right. Social media, Sean. You asked me at end at last podcast. You know, you're on Twitter and stuff. No, no, yeah, Still people not. people call me for that. So here's the thing, right? Let's just say I didn't like half the people I work with. Uh, my own family probably didn't like me sometimes. Uh, thousands of people, thousands of people have been in prison, far more than there is prison officers who've had bad experiences. Their families will hate prison officers. Your own managers and governors don't fucking like you. Uh, the Prison Officers Association and Prison Officers Service Union, the unions can do fuck all. They're powerless now. Government don't give a shit. They're clueless. Mm -hmm. So why am I going to put myself as an ex-prison officer on Twitter and Instagram just for the hate? Because you're going to get it. Aren't you? Most you you get very little. Hate is a sign of success. I've had it, believe me. Whoa. I had a, had a situation that ended up in a police situation. Seriously. But that's a long story. I love the hate. <laughs> <laughs> Wildman wakes up at night waiting for people to try and rob his house. There you go. Wildman's endorsing me, so <laughs> if you're an author in this day and age, it's good to get on all the platforms because then your readership can contact you. So right now, and then when they contact you, if they've enjoyed your book, you can ask them to leave Amazon reviews. That feeds the algorithm. So if you have read Sam's book, it's on the Neil Samworth, all my books. We do appreciate all the Amazon reviews you can lead. That helps the algorithm. Amazon promotes it to more of their customers. So if someone's read your book, for example, and they want to let you know the feedback, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, you can find me on Messenger, Sam Samworth. I've got I have got a Facebook account, but I've got security settings yeah. tight, obviously. If if they look for Sam Samworth on Messenger, I have to accept the messages. Is your email address out though? Do you not like to have your email address out though? Uh, yeah, it is. So I could put your email address yeah. below I, this I can, video. I can people give you can, that. I can give you email, that. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I've had shitloads of people who found me out anyway. Yeah. On Messenger, you know, lots of positives, a couple of knobheads. 
but you're going to get that. And it means you're successful, apparently. It does. <laughs> I get called the biggest, fastest bastard ever. When's he going to do something with his teeth? I don't give a fuck about my teeth. Do you know how to I've fucking had? Do you think I give a flavour fuck? Come yeah, here, give me some... a hug. Yeah. <laughs> I'll strangle it, Lowell. Well, nice, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And you, Sean. Yeah, cheers. 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 Yeah, man. Well done. Classic, classic.